Hello, everybody, and welcome back to some interseason goodness from the sequelizers. I'm your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stogden. How are you? Yep. Good. Yeah. Good. H- how are you? Tired. <laughs> <laughs> Come to expect oh, the answer by now, I think, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Default by state. Default state. And uh, to clue the little listeners, go behind the scenes. This is part of a long weekend of recording for us so uh yeah we're all tired apologies in advance <laughs> if we just doze Four off mid-episode <laughs> and of course speaking of being tired joining us it's tim mason just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine <laughs> go down in the most delightful way Lovely. brilliant this is our Mary Poppins episode, everybody. <laughs> you thought uh, we'd cover it in spin- London, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, spinning off from London, we're now discussing Dick Van Dyke's accent in minute detail. <laughs> syllable by syllable. And, uh, yeah. Diphthong by diphthong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That, that's a podcast I don't need. <laughs> <laughs> the cunning linguist. Diphthong by diphthong. <laughs> Oh dear! Thankfully, we're not actually talking about Dick Van Dyke's accent or Mary Poppins, ish. This week, we are in fact talking about drugs in films, and we'll get into what that means and what that could, you know, some some picks from us, the history of drugs in films, different types of drugs that are addressed in films, and all that kind of stuff. But before we get to that, let's say thank you very much to some patrons, shall we? Because you guys can go and support us on patreon.com slash sequelizers and get a variety of different perks and benefits, including early access, ad-free episodes, exclusive merch, exclusive bonus content and bonus episodes and outtakes, live streams, loads of cool stuff. And if you become an executive producer, you can actually get a shout out on the show, just like these folks did. Our executive producers this week are Mike Salvia. I got ketamine, meth, MDMA. Adderall, Bromo Dragonfly, Andrew Steen, Heroin, Coke, Crack, Codeine, Oxys, Perks, Vikes, PCP, Josh van der Sluis, LSD, Dilaudid, Mescaline, Mushrooms, Bath Salts, Cortisone, Toradol, Josh Miles, I got Molly, I got her sister Sandra, I got Big Frank, I got Birth Control, I got Plan B, I got that morphine from China, they took off the market, Jonathan Firth Clark, Shit to make your dick hard. Oh. Shit to make your dick soft. Shit'll find your dick. That shit there's from Kenya. It's supposed to be a scurvy cure and silverback gorillas, but for humans it just makes them violently masturbate. And the man known only as Xenos. Did I say crack? Because I got more mm-hmm. of that you said too. Crack I got some ibuprofen, aspirin. I got Flintstone gummies if you want. You seem good at your job. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for supporting us and becoming our executive producers. We very much appreciate your support. And everybody who supports us on Patreon. It makes this show possible. It makes us be able to expand the show and make more episodes and more content for you guys. And keeps the show free for everybody else. Buy all so, these yeah. lovely drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and it fuels our crippling addictions. Buying a suit of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you'd like to join those guys, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. Children, much like bacteria, there are good drugs and bad drugs. That's, that's very true. That is very true. Yeah. And we're, we're going to tackle a few different types of drugs, discuss 
the history and the origins and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, in the second half, we'll discuss some of our picks for some interesting interpretations of the use of drugs and all that kind of thing later on in the show. Drug is such a broad term. We've done, as a Patreon exclusive, an episode about food. And weirdly enough, drugs, when you start to think about it, you think about how do films represent this? Well, it's always <laughs> someone snort up a line of cocaine and go, wow, and just <laughs> doing whatever it is in the 80s. Uh, or you think about someone falling into their couch with a needle sticking out of their arm or smoking and looking through plumes of, of cannabis smoke. There are a handful of things, obviously, that are so like, oh, that's the iconic use of drugs. And yet there are so many things that are classified as drugs um, and that film either does or doesn't look at. So let's, let's just take, for example, before we even cover the nature of which drugs are good and bad, etc., etc., the reason drugs come up in film is because people become addicted to drugs. That is te- that tends to be the issue. It's it's not really a sense of like, um, yes, okay, the the mind expanding effects in it. That that that's all side effects. That's all a very interesting byproduct. But the reason we talk about it in film mostly is addiction. Sugar at present is not considered a drug, but it's definitely something you can get fucking addicted to. Um, so and 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 the effects of bouncing off the walls and being erratic and sh- shouting and, and 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 wailing and screaming and crying and your skin going to shit and you losing and gaining weight, fluctuating all that sort of stuff and liquid fucking diarrhea and it's like this is terrible. It's like what what drug are you on? I am on a high sugar diet, <laughs> um, and it's like yeah, and it will fucking kill you. Um, but because of you know, because money's been made in sugar and it's quite nice, we don't think of it like that. Whereas you have something like you know, cocaine, similar looking white powder. You go, well, obviously, cocaine is bad for you, right? Um, it's like you it's, you have the same sort of addictive effect. You, you go back a hundred years and you were putting it in Coca Cola. Yeah, putting Coca Cola, and it was you know medicinally sort of like a thing you could use to get rid of headaches. And like, what the fuck? Um, laudanum, that's a good thing, right? No, it is not. Um, it, it is fantastic and, and fascinating. Sorry, it is fascinating. And and what's more, it's the abuse of drugs. It's drug abuse is the key thing, and that's why say addiction comes into it then. Um, and the exploitation of people, either through uh, their own use of drugs, whatever it is the exploitation of people. And I said this on the London episode very briefly. There's not a lot of films about the opium wars where Britain <laughs> just thought China's causing us a lot of problems. You know, economically speaking, should we just should we just flood it with drugs so they have to become dependent upon drugs and then they need us to... Yeah, let's do that. That's, that sounds like a fucking war crime. Um, I, th- I think it varies because there's certainly... When you talk about... So we're talking about drugs in film. If you talk about to someone and say, oh, think of a, think of a film about drugs, the films that, that tend to get made do tend to be about addiction. Um, and in one form or another because you could say that a lot of stoner comedies are about addiction because they're about someone whose habits with with cannabis have become they've they, they become such a habitual user that it, it colors their entire personality and therefore yeah, you get yeah. your cheech and your chongs you get your harold and kumar etc because <laughs> it's not it's not about oh there is a character and then occasionally they smoke some weed it's about no True. no these are these are people who it's core to their identities in certain ways. Yes. Um, and, you know, even if they're not going to OD on 
you know, weed uh, or whatever. Um, it's it it becomes a defining aspect of their lifestyle. Um, there are plenty of examples, even without even if we're just thinking of drugs in the sense of illegal narcotics, the kind of stuff that the the DEA in America would would care about. Um, there's plenty of examples in film of those showing up and being used by characters, either main characters or supporting characters. And if the film isn't about that, it's less co commented on or it becomes just a, a subplot. You know, there's plenty. I mean, God, you think of the amount of there's there's plenty of crime films where drugs are a huge focus of it and it becomes about, you know, drug wars or or addiction and you know look at scarface or something like that but there's also plenty of films where the crime is happening and there just happens to be drugs mixed around in it somewhere but those are not the focus of the of the thing and then when we broaden it out and start talking about alcohol and um uh tobacco and pharmaceutical drugs both both in the sense of like obviously there's a huge opioid crisis in america going on right now and, and there's plenty of pharmaceutical drug abuse but you know also people use drugs to treat all kinds of you know illnesses and disorders and you know things that they need you know just to you know uh, to get through the day and that's a mm. you know it, we classify drugs in so many different ways um and mm -hmm. you know the the but it's interesting that when we think about a drug film, it tends to be, like you say, it's about addiction and it's about people whose life has become consumed by and yep. controlled by a drug. Yeah, I think that's definitely something, as soon as we said, we're talking about drugs and films this episode, exactly what the listeners would think of would be the hard stuff, for want a better phrase, <laughs> like all the, all the heroin addictions and all the, the cocaine use and all this kind of stuff that mm. happens in films. Nobody thinks like, oh, that character had a headache and they they took some normal yeah. painkillers from a yeah. normal pharmacy. Like, like nobody think or like like you said, Matt earlier on, like people smoking, nicotine as a drug. Yep. And unless a film is really focused on drinking and it's like a, a film about addiction and somebody dealing with that, like another round that we talked mm -hmm. about recently, mm -hmm. um, the Mads Mikkelsen film. It's really not really addressed as a drug. It's just like, yeah, characters drink. You get the cool guy who sits there sipping a whiskey at the bar, looking cool and whatever. That, yeah. That's been a stereotype for decades, a hundred years. I guess we, we have very clear classifications in our mind is what I'm thinking of, and especially mm. in terms of where we are now in Western society, where there's a lot of legalization going on in America. Cannabis and all that stuff is getting legalized like state by state, and, that, and that, the push for that is becoming bigger and bigger. I think eventually we'll see that over here in the UK, but cannabis is classified in a very different way over here than it is to America. Yeah. So the recreational use of drugs and then the addiction side of things, I think, is what most people think of. And you wouldn't really think of, oh, yeah, like Mad Men is about the tobacco industry <laughs> and advertising and stuff. I know that's not a film, but that's an example yeah, of like, yeah. it's still about drugs, technically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we talked about James Bond films earlier uh, in the interseason. Casino Royale, uh, you know, he crea creates his own cocktail. That's a drug. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's yep. people smoking like cigars while they're playing poker. Those are drugs. 
he gets poisoned. That's a drug. Then he goes yep. and injects himself with the antidote. That's a drug. Like, <laughs> but no one would ever think, oh, yeah, Casino Royale, that famous drug film. It's entirely true. And it goes to what Tim was saying earlier, uh, how much of it is uh, we're so desensitized to the concept of what drugs are. And that's why I said it's a broad term. Think of like Die Hard, for example. And the character of Ellis when he's first introduced. How do we know he's like a stupid, sleazy LA douchebag? Yeah. It's like, no, <laughs> hey, Hans, Bobby. And he's like, you know, what a douchebag. But it's not a drug film, even though it's got two or three uses of very illegal drugs. Mm. Um, yeah. And again, classically, we do talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about politics. Um, we, and by we, I mean, you know, society, you know, uh, news media, and also films will make very, very light of certain things. So for example, if you want to say like, here is an ethnic minority or a person of color doing drugs, like, oh, the fucking degenerate. They have no control. No, no, no. And they're one hit and they're lost to it. That's all there is. And like, oh, fantastic, lovely. But if you just say, oh, our politicians have been using cocaine. They've admitted to it freely. It's like, well, if, if that was anyone else, you'd put them in fucking prison. You've had, you have admitted to committing a crime in this country and you are a politician. Surely you should stand the fuck down. And obviously I'm not putting my own politics and opinions on what people should do with drugs and things. I'm just saying the hypocrisy is rife. So for example, even in one film, you could have like, here's an end user who is in a poor neighborhood. They're a degenerate bastard. Here's an end user in a, in a, in a you know, a, a high rise penthouse suite. And like, well, they're fucking living the life. It's like, how is it any fucking different? at all and that's the problem it's how we present it that's why film becomes an important thing here now as as mentioned by both jack and tim um it comes down to a, a bit of pedantry if i'm honest so if we take if we step away from abuse and addiction and just talk about legality now that changes everywhere you go and it changes over time as mentioned by tim cocaine used to be legal it used to be in stuff to get rid of headaches and give you just a bit of buzz in a Coca-Cola. Yeah. Um, Start your day with a hop in your step with <laughs> cocaine. Uh, was it, uh, is it? Is it heroin or what's what's or is it what's what's Sherlock Holmes addicted to? Uh, yeah, heroin. Heroin. Yeah. Yeah. heroin yeah. He's a user because it helps it, him clear opium, his mind. I think because it's back in the day. But, yes, of yeah. course. But it's, it helps him clear his mind. Like, yeah, I'm sure it fucking does. Um, <laughs> Which they they rarely address in like modern Sherlock Holmes stuff. Oh yeah. And then like take the BBC Sherlock where they're like, oh yeah, he's a bit kooky and wacky, and then he kind of hints at like doing cocaine, a couple of the bits and pieces. Doesn't he? Doesn't he have? Um... Uh, nicotine patches or something. He does oh, have nicotine yes. patches to help him focus. That's how they modernise it. Mm. But then in elementary, mm. he's like a recovering addict, and that's the whole point of like yeah, yeah it's a, it's Mil a huge... Miller's, Miller's interpretation of that yeah. character. Yeah, that's yeah. why elementary's better than Sherlock. Agreed, a hundred percent. One of one of many reasons. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the kind of the thing there. It's 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 how we present it at the time. Um. I remember like so many Westerns, like, oh, I know what to clear their headache right up, darling, a drop of this laudanum. It's like, do you fucking mental? Are you trying to kill them? Um, it's like, it's like, oh, I've just had a bad, I just need my laudanum. And it's like, you are a straight up addict now. I'm so sorry. You've been hooked on a class A drug, basically. Um, and yet, if you look at cigarettes, it's like, oh, just, yeah, smoking in like a, a Ghostbusters film. Now cigarettes are like very much demonized, as a lot of smoking is, because again, the hardcore tar in it and so on and so forth, and nicotine is very addictive. It's like, you can't, if you smoke in your film, bang, it gets like an R rating or 15. It gets a very, it immediately changes what that film is. Um, 
well, keep looking at the film from the eighties is always a classic example of that. Um, and it just it just shifts. It's just a times a timeline shift. I mean, the Prohibition era in America. Now we obviously yeah yeah we weren't affected. I, I was convinced because of film and TV that England was affected by it too. I'm like oh, no, <laughs> we no, we've always been pissheads. Um, but God, can you imagine? Can you imagine Prohibition trying to never in a million years? This country. No has a problem. It can't admit it, but it <laughs> yeah. does. Um, I'm saying this as an Irish person. Do you remember when we opened pubs 24 7 for a 24 hour oh, drinking and everybody was like, yeah, that's a great it'll idea? It'll be like Italy and it'll be so cultured. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> people throwing up into their own pants, which they've taken off because they wanted to blow their nose. Fucking idiots. Um, but, but yes, it is a question of it, it just changes. And what we currently deem as acceptable drugs can be just as damaging as the ones that are not acceptable. They're like, well, Alcohol's fine. It's not a drug. You know, meth can like you know really fuck your teeth up and your skin and you die. It's like, what do you what do you think alcohol does? Are you mad? It there are most of the fights in this country come down to fucking booze. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's, like mother's ruin is gin because this country was so sozzled for so fucking long. It was locked in the sense that it just couldn't function. There's a picture of like what was England like in the 1800s, and there's this mad pissed buck tooth woman with a. A, a baby falling off her exposed breast because like that's England piss heads um, and I, again I should point this out no nation is above another this is a human thing it's a human problem um, some do it better than others obviously um, and then you get to the point where you're like oh alcohol's not an unusual thing to see in films if you watch a film like a Bollywood film they have warnings on the screen that say alcohol is dangerous alcohol is damaging do not drink that's an interesting priority for them. Whereas us, we'll make like, you know, uh, I, I, so, you know, the Americans as well, we'll make jokes on family time, sort of uh, sitcom shows about mommy needs her wine. It's like, <laughs> shouldn't you be raising your fucking kids? <laughs> <laughs> mommy needs a hit of meth. It's like, whoa, take those kids away. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how much like cultural changes are seen, like kind of how, how, it changes the context that all, all this yeah, stuff is yeah. seen is because, you know, I, and, and I think it's something that film is a little bit slow to react to. Um, because I think if you look at uh, American television, for example, there are a lot of shows where there have been subplots about people dealing with, especially wealthy white people who are addicted to like pharmaceutical, like stuff that they have been prescribed. Oh, the over-the-counter stuff, yeah. Yeah, um, that that they are using to, essentially in the same way that most people use recreational, you know, drugs kind of stuff, mm. um, and which has obviously developed in a lot of ways into the opioid crisis and, and stuff like that. There's so far not been a huge amount of films that have really dealt with that in the same way. Their films still seem caught up in this sort of 98 late 80s early 90s idea of like oh well if it's a drug film then it's you know it's it's sort of heroin and it's it's like train spotting or it's like blow or something yeah, yeah. like that and i think that there will be there will be a wave of films at some point in the future that deal a lot more with how the medical industry is involved in the drug trade and the, the the connective tissue between them, um, and and even stuff like you know things like Ritalin and stuff like that, you know where there's hundreds of thousands of kids who are who are taking that every day, you know, and I think it'll be a case of 
we'll we'll have films in 50 years time where it's like oh i can't believe you know they 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 you're sort of making such a weird deal out of these uh, people smoking uh, cannabis like it's treating yeah, it like yeah. it's some crime or something wait <laughs> did that did that person just have <laughs> have have Ritalin? Oh my God! They just popped it like it was nothing. You know, you can't you can't really yeah, predict yeah. what those trends are going to be. But but like we said, they shift over time. They shift from culture to culture, and it's it's sort of fascinating. And we haven't even really touched on you know there are drugs that have been used back way back in human history for religious purposes and stuff True. like that, and you know, and still still are. Um, and some that are very culturally important in places, and then you get white people who show up and go, "I'm going to try this as well." Uh, I'm and... on my spiritual fucking gap here. Yeah, ayahuasca and oh, ayahuasca. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, there's there's a huge variety of things to be talked about in terms of drugs. Not like as well as addiction. There's you know there's how the government interacts with it and regulates it, and how it impacts communities, and how it how it is treated differently in different places. There's there's a huge wealth of areas that it connects to. I feel personally it does unfortunately connect because let's face it, sometimes... <sighs> okay, so if you have any any country, any government, let's, let's go with the big one being America because I know it's an example, we keep coming back to America, but because it's such a powerhouse, it informs so much of how everyone operates around the world in their own uh, pockets of cinema. But a lot of it comes down to what you want to project and the reaction to what is already happening. Like a war film, you know? So it's like, this is the war film we think we want to do, the John Wayne Green Beret movie about Vietnam, where the little Vietnamese boys thank us for coming over. And you're like, I don't know what fucking war you think is happening, mate. And then you have a fucking Oliver Stone platoon of, I went there, fuck you. And it's mm. like two very reactions. And drugs has the exact same thing. And the whole Reagan war on drugs bullshit, which cost so much money and really impacted in such a little way. There is a quote from Layer Cake, which I'm going to read out because to me, the sun's up everything. It like just, I was like, I must've been 20 years old when the film came, out, film came out. And I was like, this has hit it on the head. This is everything. And it's from the opening monologue by Daniel Craig. And he says, always remember that one day this drug monkey business will be all legal. They won't leave it to people like me. Not once they figure out how much money is in it, not millions, fucking billions and that's the thing that's always fascinating to me it's like we've got to make sure it's all criminal and illegal and we can't have access to it it's, it's the most you know shocking scourge of our time it's like you do realize if you taxed this and regulated it so it was actually controlled and not a, a, like, like you do with alcohol for example sake and it became a refined version of say look, for argument's sake heroin i'm not going to say we should decriminalize heroin but it's like you unscrupulous bastards just don't know how to sell it yet. That's the problem. Once you figure that out, you will have no problem decriminalizing it because you will realize how much you can make in tax. Um, and this is where it becomes interesting because I do think on paper, the war on drug mindset's like, yeah, that makes sense. As much as you like have a small habitual use of whatever, sure, fine. I only use a bit of this, bit of that. It's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, it still goes into the pocket of a criminal. It's like, well, no, 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 because my friend grows it. It's like, okay, that's a little bit different. You know, he just grows some shrooms, it's fine. It's like, oh, okay, I, I sort of understand where you're coming from. But most of it, most drug um, stuff in elite, you know, where it's illegal in a country will eventually go to further crime. Now, one could also say, yeah, but my tax is, you know, 
fund war criminals so it's like well that's fair <laughs> it's it's a hard one to to argue the the moral area on that sort of thing especially when you're like yeah but the fucking alcohol companies and the the nicotine companies big tobacco that kind of not that big tobacco is really much of a thing in that capacity anymore it's like yeah and and as 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 was mentioned earlier the pharmaceutical companies who are monstrously fucking exploitative bastards that sort of, I mean, obviously we're a pandemic. We're all very grateful that, you know, vaccines are working around. That's fantastic. But <laughs> that's a different yeah. sort of thing. Does, to the, doesn't mean they can get away with charging like $50 for a dose of insulin in America. Precisely. It's like, oh, we got this cancer drug. It's going to be, uh, what was it, like $70 per pill and you need 10 per week. And like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, nonsense. There's a, um, a bit of stand-up by uh, Alan Davis uh from back in the 90s where he was talking about how um the the, the reason that cannabis hasn't been legalized especially in Britain is because uh there's so much money to be made off of booze like not only is there the taxes involved in it but you know it's people going to pubs and they get they yeah, get, yeah. get drunk they want they want a kebab and then they get get too drunk they have a fight police have got to pick them up it's a bit Courts have got to charge them. Go to the hospital. Someone's got to do that. There's a whole industry built around people getting absolutely pissed out of their minds on Saturday night and causing chaos. You know, they go do, you know, do some vandalism. Someone's got to come along fix that. No one's going to make any money if everyone's just stoned every weekend. It's just going to be sales in Twixes have gone up, and that's about <laughs> it. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's. Uh, it's it's interesting again how mm. how cultures change what what is viewed as acceptable yeah you know and what what isn't and and, and who it's acceptable for because yeah uh, there's a, speaking of stand up there's Bill Hicks and he said if you don't support drugs or believe drugs do anything positive take go home take all your 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 records and burn them because yeah. everyone who wrote those songs <laughs> real fucking high real fucking high on <laughs> yeah. drugs yeah. And he does a comparison about people who aren't high when they write music and people who are. And it's like, like anything, uh, and okay, I'm going to go from personal belief point here because the thing about drugs and films and drugs, how it's presented, does mean it, come, it comes about to your core values. It does talk about, like, you know, the same way, like religion and film and criminal acts on films and um, uh, politics in film and patriotism in film and war films. It brings out, like, oh, it was an interesting film, but now I have something to say about my own actual opinion because that's the kind of thought provoking thing these things tend to be. My sort of theory on on drugs and how they how they affect people, uh, and obviously this this differs, like you say, very much from person to person because people have their own tolerances, and it, it doesn't mean you know if if you have a tolerance to one thing doesn't mean you have a you know tolerance to everything and et cetera et cetera et cetera is that essentially drugs kind of are a way of uh, switching off your own personality <laughs> and replacing it with a different one. And the stronger the drug, it tends to be the, the more obvious that effect is and the fewer alternate personalities there are. So alcohol... <laughs> You know, people talk about like, oh, he's a really happy drunk, or he's a really yeah, angry yeah, drunk, yeah, or he's yeah. a really sleepy drunk, etc., etc., etc. There's like a dozen different flavors of of what drug, you know. But there's only, you know, especially after you've had, you know, three or four, there's only a certain number of flavors of personality that you have <laughs> at the end of that. Um, but obviously, you're still yourself. You know, it's just you are you are 
slotting yourself more into you know one of these different areas mm. yeah with something like cannabis it narrows it down to maybe like oh okay you know well you know gets giggly gets sleepy or gets paranoid you know or, or sure, whatever sure. you know and those those are your kind of three you know things and because it's a stronger drug the the ever the effect it has on your personality is stronger you're leaving more of yourself behind and replacing it with just drug person and then you get up to something like heroin and it's like yeah no there's just one heroin mode and and it comes on and it comes on pretty fucking strong um i i don't have enough experience with drugs to be like this is absolutely true but that that's my experience of of dealing with drugs and it's you know it's the stuff of like it's why everyone who does cocaine is such an asshole because it just <laughs> it just switches yeah. off all the parts of your brain that aren't asshole mm-hmm. um and it's just like yeah well the, you know that's this is your brain on cocaine it's just you if you were an asshole <laughs> <laughs> it's our experience of it is how it's presented in film so it's like oh i wouldn't want to touch that heroin because i've seen a movie about it um, which is both good and bad because it's like, well, yeah, don't, don't, probably don't do heroin. That's probably a fucking terrible idea. <laughs> um, but equally, I am, I mentioned about the control earlier. I'm terrified of so many drugs because I've seen how it works in films. You get close to it and then you're gone. You're a ghoul. Um, and it's like, oh shit. Um, which is obviously nonsense. That's not how these things work at all. People don't just literally roll into a grave, but then some people can. Mm. But having said that, and in addition to the other things I mentioned earlier, uh, just to just to sort of segue here, prescriptions. I I've been on um, antidepressants and all sorts of things in the past, and fuck me if they don't completely change your personality. And yep. Tim mentioned yep. about unlocking different parts and changing who you are, changing your mm. sleep pattern, changing your appetite, changing everything. Except the difference is that's a good drug. And it's like it can help a lot of people. It can stabilize people and shut certain things off. Um, and it depends on, you, you know, even then there are brands. It's about finding the right one that fits you. Mm. The same thing like, oh yeah, no, I'll happily drink, uh, uh, drink Stella, but fuck me. If I have a Jaeger by my am fucked, mm. I'll be, a, I'll be a nightmare. It's like, okay. Is, is it not just the same thing? And if you, if you are a child, for example, it's like, is it not the same thing? It's like, no spirits and lager are not the same thing. <laughs> um, but this, it's just a okay, But the prescription, we don't have that conversation. We're just like, this is medicine because it came over the counter. It'll make you better. And I'm not saying don't take your fucking meds for God's sake. What I'm saying is like anything, as Tim said already, the tolerance is the thing, but that's one that does that gets put across in films in a very narrow bracket, I think. Mm. And there's, uh, I remember I had a, a lecturer at university who was saying about how like, you know, there's every day, there's hundreds of thousands of people who are essentially getting given heroin by their doctor they're getting given opiates and don't form addictions and you know because they go in to hospital for a for an operation or whatever and for you know three days or whatever they're hopped up to the eyeballs on opiates and then they yeah. come out and then they go back to their regular life and it's like yeah it's not they're obviously opiates are addicting but a, a lot of it is about the context you take them in and stuff like that as well and there are there are people who unfortunately have operations or whatever or have to take you know painkillers for an injury and do become hooked on it and does become an addictive problem but there's also we don't talk about the the thousands of people who 
you know, oh, yeah, I've had a really bad uh, wisdom tooth surgery. So, you know, essentially I've had to be on heroin for the past three days. <laughs> but now I'm feeling better, so I'm just down on ibuprofen, you know. And it, yeah. it's sort of the the... And again, we're not saying... <laughs> Go out and try a bunch of drugs. It's great. No, or no, no, don't no. take the drugs that you've been prescribed. But it's there's so much about cultural associations with them and how, and especially in the areas we're talking about them, how they are presented on film. And the way that heroin present, is presented is very, you know, specific. It's pre- Because it's seen as such a destructive drug, it's presented in that way. Cannabis has changed wildly over the years because of how quick and and how quickly like uh, attitudes towards cannabis have, have changed as well and wavered back and forth on you know how much it's accepted by society. How we treat certain pharmaceutical drugs is is barely commented on in film, and then how others uh, affect us are. They're, they're seen as kind of very dangerous or they're seen as very beneficial. And there's, you know, and sometimes they're barely worth commenting on and sometimes they become the focus of this whole film. And, you know, like we say, if, mm. if it consumes this person's lifestyle, it's it becomes a problem. Mm. It's, it's also, it can be a very, and this is the nature of script, tone and pre- presentation. Films can be very judgmental about this shit. Take mm. um, the prescription thing, for example. Um, Personal story again. I, as a younger person, was like, watch a movie about someone who has been shot and has a wound from a, a war, whatever the war happens to be, and they form an addiction to morphine or something because they can't get the pain loose. Uh, fuck it, I know it's TV, but House, for example. Um, it's like, you know, my leg is in, I'm in constant pain. I need drugs to, 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 take me my mind off that basically i mean i can't deal with it um and i thought eh, you know that arrogant white man thing like eh, i don't think it's that bad i think it'll be all right that kind of stupid fucking idiot thing of like i'm <laughs> there's like a, a brass eye episode about drugs and it's like uh, i'm okay i'm middle class i can have a i've got yeah. a mild coke and uh, mild heroin habit that's okay though i can handle it um and it was only when i turned 30 and I had my kidney stone and I remember writhing in agony, obviously, and I was on the floor and they said, right, there you go. You've had, you know, morphine and various bits of pieces. I was on the, it literally just injected me while I was on the floor um, of my bathroom. And they, I said, is it still hurting? I was like, I, obviously, I'm, 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 I couldn't articulate. I was in so much agony. I couldn't breathe. Because you can't speak properly. Your body's being literally shredded from the inside by yourself um and they said okay i'm I'm sorry matt um you've had five milligrams of morphine i can't give you any more you're gonna have to ride it out and i was like it's fine it's fine it's fine and then the next they said it'd be four hours till you get the next dose and i was like it's fine so i fully fucking understand when someone says you've had all the morphine you're legally allowed to have and mm. you're like i don't care fucking triple the dose now just make this stop and hearing that from emma's perspective because emma is oh, a nurse course, who deals with a lot of this stuff i know it even has to deal with sort of like palliative care and end of life care for a lot of her patients and stuff as well 
getting the right dosage of morphine and stuff like that is a really tricky thing to do to make sure people are comfortable and all that kind of stuff in their last stages of their life and giving them a dignified death in that process sure. and all that kind of stuff. I don't envy Emma having to do that sort of thing. And then, as you said, Matt, the vast majority of people will just be like, give me the fucking morphine. <laughs> they don't, they don't be like, Oh, is that enough? Yeah, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just write out. Thanks very much, doctor. Yeah. I appreciate the help. They're like, give me the fucking drugs. Give me all the drugs. That's what you do. You're a drug dispenser. <laughs> that's what doctors do. Literally drug dealing. And, in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's legalized heroin dealing. It, it literally is. And I think it's a real kind of, because people don't interact with those kind of drugs, like every day, typically people don't tend to interact with heroin, most people. And then when you get that pain relief for that, as you said, about unbearable pain for something like a kidney stone or a broken leg or whatever it is, then you suddenly realize like, oh, this is why, this is why people <laughs> do drugs. <laughs> this makes all the sense yeah. in the world. Yeah. Thankfully myself, I've never had anything like that. So I'm quite... Um, quite. I've never had a serious sort of medical condition or anything like You're that. You're a me soft to... boy. <laughs> I am. I'm, I am. I am a, a sweet little virgin boy. I've, That's I've good. Never That's smoked, good. I've I've never smoked a cigarette and haven't taken any drugs outside of like, like yeah, prescribed antidepressants when I was younger, mm-hmm. and paracetamol and alcohol in the last sort of ten years or so. But mm-hmm. I also didn't drink for the first twenty-two years of my life. Yeah. Which You've done everything a, legally by the books at this country's current designated rules. Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I grew up, my parents were both smokers. My dad is, uh, uh, or was, I guess, a, a cannabis user when he was younger, and that we've had fairly open discussions about that. I mentioned before my parents are pretty liberal with this sort of stuff. They're open to talk about pretty much anything. And there happened to be a local cannabis grower, dealer, nearby because we're in the middle my parents live in the middle of nowhere so i guess why not (laughs) you can get away with it in the middle of nowhere in norfolk and i guess my way of my my like history with drugs is that i just kind of rebelled and i was like i'm gonna go straight edge yeah and i did the complete opposite of what a lot of teenagers do it's like yeah i'm gonna get pissed at 15 it's like i had i think i drunk vodka for the first time at 14 or 15 and then didn't touch it for another eight years basically Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of the generational thing now at the minute as well. Like yours and younger. It's like, I've seen my parents get locked. Fuck that mm. shit. That is not the life of me. They're, you know, picking themselves off the pavement, these reports of the news, it's expensive. I'm not, it's not for me. And you, yeah. as you say, you rebel. And once again, I'm not being judgmental. This is just my no, personal no, no. experience. You do what you like. You drink or take whatever you want to do. I don't, I don't care. You're all as long adults. as you're not shoving it, shoving it down my throat, then I don't care. And then it's like, I've only been drunk a couple of times even since I started drinking. And it's a weird thing because, like you said, it's such a normalized thing in media and a normalized thing in society as well. And growing up watching films, I used the example earlier of like the cool guy is, is drinking a whiskey and like, I'll take the bottle. He's like, oh, he's so cool. <laughs> he's such a man. He doesn't just drink one finger or two fingers of whiskey. I'll take the bottle. The perfect example is the Aquaman bit where he just necks the Jack Daniels and then chucks it in the ocean because Aquaman doesn't care about the fishes after all, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking fucking Aquaman. (laughs) But Jason Momoa looks cool. He's topless. He's covered in, like, the tattoos and stuff, and he's chucking that Jack Daniels out of the bottle because he's cool and hard. Fucking Zack Snyder. 
We'll 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 talk about we'll that one day. That. Don't worry. Yeah. But yeah, it's that kind of glamorization of drinking as well. That's even outside of the British side of things, but it's also in a, a big part of American culture as well. And it's difficult to argue that it's a good or a bad thing because it has become such an integral part of so many different elements of Western culture. And I remember, I can't remember where this quote is from, but it's if you want to learn something about a civilization, learn what they drink and learn who they pray to. That's me. I, I, I know that. That's not you directly. That's a No, but that's a, I say it a lot. I've said it to you yeah. a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that is like the, a famous quote about where there is, learn, yes. about, learn about societies in that way. Like alcohol has become such a part of human existence. We've mm -hmm. been fermenting things on purpose for thousands of years and, and getting that kind of that high or that buzz or that push from it or however you want to word it. And now it's just such a normalized part of like, yeah, we've been fermenting things with yeast and stuff. And now you can try any of these 15,000 different types of beer just in this one supermarket. Like, It's not that you have to go far. We've got the American stuff. You've got the Mexican stuff. You've got Czech beer. You've got German beer. You've got Japanese beer. Like, This is insane. And the fact that it's such a huge industry and then that obviously you don't quite get the same branding with heroin and stuff. but. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're, you're getting there with cannabis you know the people exactly copywriting get, strains and stuff like that yeah um, you get the different different strains exactly and i think that will go cannabis will follow a similar path mm. it will be the next alcohol for one of our phrase mm. and you know we've, we've touched on a wide variety of here you know from pharmaceutical to to you know narcotic illegal stuff we haven't even talked about fictional drugs uh that show up <laughs> in films yes. Um, whether that be in, in contemporary stuff, you know, uh, things like uh, Side Effects, the Steven Soderbergh drama, um, which is sort of taking a very down-to-earth approach, look at, you know, how people with, with uh, you know, mental health issues are, you know, trying to cope with it you know, and turning it into a kind of a weird sort of thriller, sexy time thing, um, <laughs> at, all the way up to, you know, fucking... Bane getting full of green goo in Batman and Robin to make oh, him super yeah. strong, um, you know, and so, something like uh, Limitless, which yeah. I was, is I was just thinking Limitless. Exactly, you know, yeah. you you would ne you would if you'd ask people to you know, start naming drug films, it would take a long while for most people to get to Limitless, and yet that is a film entirely based around here is a drug mm -hmm. that affects a person and how you know how they live their life. Well, it's, it's weird because this is going to sound really 1950s and really preachy. It's not. It's just it's just the phrasing. Um, all drugs, uh, whether they're you know intoxicants or, not, or, or alcohol, whatever it happens to be, is a poison in some form. Yeah, and it's your it's your brain and your body reacting to the precisely the hazardous, dangerous yeah. chemicals that are reacting with yeah. yeah your bloodstream and your brain and all that kind of stuff. Caffeine is designed to make something's heart beat so fast it dies. <laughs> Caffeine's Except one. Yeah, we haven't even talked about fucking coffee caffeine, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and tea and Coca Cola and yep. energy drinks and sports mm. drinks and all that shit as well. Yeah, that's another one that might be you know illegal in the future kind of thing. It's like we you know people having cardiac arrest that sort of stuff. And that's the point. It does take years off your life, and it's something that will. It just because we're a larger creature, we just go oh rather than dying initially. Um, but it's still poisonous. Whereas the fictional drugs, very interestingly to me, um, 
tend to walk an interesting fine line of how do we represent this in a way that we haven't already seen? How do we get it so it's not too close to home with alcohol and 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 cocaine or whatever it needs to be, or crack cocaine or, or whatever? You're like, okay, what do you have? What about we have like mind expanding powers and you get like limitless and it Lucy. literally gives you superpowers. Yeah. Like, oh, What's yeah, that one okay. recently with uh, with oh, Gordon Levitt if you're the people? Project Power or something like that? Jamie Foxx. Probably, probably yeah. sounds about right, yeah. Um and it's like Okay, it's like so it's X Men but drug X Men. Like okay, fine, and it's like okay, and but then the other the only other version you get seems to be uh governmental control, uh like Equilibrium or um mm. Mm, a Brave yeah, New World, and they're the kind of things that's like we're going to oppress you, we're going to suppress all your emotions, all your or who you are, and that, that kind of control. Um, but again, it's either a top-down governmental restrictive thing that's you know you're you're limiting what you are and who you are as a person, or you can expand and you can fucking become a bird and fly or some bullshit. Yeah. And it's like, right, none of these seem to have the same end use, abuse, good, bad. Even limitless doesn't go really to the edge of, you know, um, where a lot of in inverted commas drug movies would go. It just does the whole like, oh, his hair's a bit raggled and he's a bit stressed out and he's not able to keep up with things. And classically, maybe he'll get a nosebleed. That's always the one you know, yeah. you've gone too far in a movie. <laughs> oh, my nose is bleeding. I've got fucking psychic powers. I can see the fucking future. Ooh, fuck you. Um, but fictional drugs are very interesting because they should be about either an allegory for something else or a message or something, but they tend just to be about, what about if we had this drug as well? It seems to be almost like wish fulfillment. Like, mm. like what about this drug where it stops you from... Uh, you know, you never need to piss ever again. It's like, what are you fucking talking about? That's stupid. Um, I, I saw a little meme like thing saying, like, oh, you can only take two. Only two. And that's why, like, you know, keep three Marvel films kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Infinite money drug, um, long life drug. And it's like, right. And it's a whole different thing. It's like, what do you mean, infinite money drug? What does that mean? It allows <laughs> you to poop diamonds. <laughs> They're going to shred your colon. I thought a fucking <laughs> kidney stone was bad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is that like the monkey paw version of that? Yeah. Like, you poop diamonds. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. They tear up your intestines. That's bad. We'll get to that one. We talk about the how they're presented in movies later. It's like, well, this is clearly a bad thing. This is, you know, run by criminals, for criminals, and it's going to fuck you up inside and it makes you a, a you know, a fiend. You're like, okay, fine. But most of the time it tends to be, yeah, the the expansion of what could be and sort of fascinating, we talked about how, you know, most uh, drugs are essentially poisons, but then you can also go full circle to back to ayahuasca and stuff like that. And and DMT, yeah. the chemical it produces, is something that's already in the human brain. Mm-hmm. It just, it just like stimulates more of it or gives you more. I can't, I can't remember the exact chemistry. No, of it. I don't mean yeah. And that, that makes you see self-transforming machine elves and stuff like that at the, <laughs> at the edges of reality. <laughs> Um, yeah. So there was a there is a documentary called The Spirit Molecule that was released a few years ago. Yeah, Host, hosted by controversial podcast host Joe Rogan because mm. he's a big he was a big supporter of DMT many years ago. Mm. Very interesting and weird, like you said. Yeah, you get yeah. this weird kind of uh, people think you start seeing the inner workings of the universe and the whole like string theory type thing. You're seeing the vibrations of the universe mm. and. Unfortunately, you do get to that kind of stonery kind of talk pretty quickly. It's like, 
hey man, I'm seeing the vibrations of the you. We're all one. It's one big consciousness shared across the planet. You're like, mm-hmm. It's like that's that's great, man. But you've just been rubbing that rug for like <laughs> forty-five minutes. Stop licking minutes. the cat. <laughs> I I feel that's always just a case of marketing. Because uh, if you talk to scientists about something where they're trying to explain a unified theory or something like that, you're like, you sound like you're off your fucking tits. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but it just comes down to the fact that it's presentation. Uh, if you take somebody talking about black holes and transport it a hundred years prior to when we were talking about it as as a mainstream scientific un- uh, understanding, it's like, this man is unhinged. <laughs> and it's like, the same thing, like, you know, saying we're all consciously connected. It's like, well, oh, okay. Somebody's been watching the fucking Star Wars bender while he's off on one. Um, but then you're like, well, no, there's also a, like a network of trees and mushrooms that have their own internet. And you're like, fuck off. And then you show the natural science. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. What? It's like, yeah, so obviously the, the forest and this, this network of things can redistribute energy from one part to save another part because it's dying. It's like, that just sounds like you've watched Avatar and smoked a spliff. What the fuck are you on about? <laughs> um, but it's actually genuinely science. It's just the fact that the problem is, as, as Jack said, is you sound like a stonery prick and the voice comes out of your tie. And obviously that's a stereotype, but it's still how it's been presented in, in film, unfortunately. Um, you Put it this way. This is a bold claim. Every single Nolan film is somebody's <laughs> high conversation. <laughs> There's two of them, right? They're two, two, two twins. It was twins, but they don't have a twins. And they're like transported, but there's also a guy. Now he so copies it's, 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 it's Batman, right? And it's Wolverine. And there's, <laughs> there's, two, there's two Batman. It's two two right? Batmans. Two Batman. But there's also there's also two Wolverines. Yeah. But it turns out Wolverine, he can't he can't swim. So many Wolverines. So David Bowie, right? He shows up and he helps Wolverine beat Batman, but Batman wins with, the with end. With Caesar. And Caesar's there. And Caesar's, Caesar's the there. monkey. Caesar the monkey. And then he We're says, doing more drums oh. than high, but whatever. And then he does and then he does Right, he does the thing where yeah, I'm more drunk. I'm definitely more drunk. Than mm. I like I said, I've never been high. This is me. But, this is. <laughs> but this is such a perfect, perfect segue to the next point. Now, as any one will attest, drunk acting is very difficult because what your drunk looks like and what everyone's drunk looks like is always a bit different, and it's always a bit too exaggerated. However, because like that was a bit over the top, and you see like, oh no, that's how they are with the drunk fucker here in mind. Um conveying the effects of drugs on film is should be magnificent because you have the physical and <laughs> audible audio, audio range to show and illustrate and convey so much the 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 the, the bombarding imagery the the Kubrick 2001 space odyssey stuff the doctor strange going through various realms all that kind of crap the problem is that it's also conveying a feeling and that's the key point about, about any sort of drug use, whether it's being a bit drunk, a bit high, a bit whatever it is, it's different for everybody. The best way I can describe it in a way that people universally understand is like trying to film a dream. You forget half the dream when you're through the dream already, and it's all usually in black and white. You don't know, you fill in the colors when you wake up anyway. And on top of that, things just cut back and forth. So you can literally walk through a door and you're from two different locations and it doesn't make a difference anyway. Too. And it's very discombobulated and really hard to keep up with. And this, unless you're like Christopher Nolan and you have the world's most boring dreams. Yeah, They're all fuck. about architecture. Got to dream a big, bigger darling. <laughs> he pulls out a small grenade launcher. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. Nailed it, mate. Why not, um, pull out, why not pull out a pump action dragon roller coaster? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> It's a it's mad. carrot that fires jealousy. 
Yes! Yeah, that's exactly what I want. <laughs> but that's the thing. Conveying drugs in film is actually really, really difficult because if you ever watched a film about someone waking up, now, you don't want to spend 30 minutes of your movie with what it looks like to actually wake up. You get someone go, eyes, two eyes blinking, <sighs> lots of this noise, mm, roll around, where am I? Yeah, get up. That's a realistic waking up scene. It's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> there are some people who go, bing, I'm awake and get straight out of bed. There are people who roll around for like an hour just trying to get the energy to get out of bed. And, and some people do both. Yeah, exactly. On certain days. It <laughs> depends, yeah. And that's the point. Um, it's like, you, 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 you shorthand it for film and that's just how it works because of the medium. Drugs is the same sort of thing. You don't want to have someone just slipping slowly. So you end up with really extreme examples like train spotting. And I think the imagery of Renton sinking into the floor and the floor, him in the carpet around him, that's magnificent because the outer bodiness of thing, like that, that's such a, a, a really interesting way of conveying it. And like we're talking about like, you know, I've never been drunk or high before. What's it like? You try and do an equivalent. Um, dread is a magnificent, again, it's a, it's a fictional drug, slow-mo and dread. But the way it shows, slows it down, where everything is so beautiful and so slow and the music is angelic and choral and magnificent, you think, this, I could just live here. This is so fucking calming. And then you cut back to Lena Headey in the bath, just splashing her arms for a couple of seconds. Mm. That's what it actually looks like from the exterior point of view. But the inside of it, it's like, it's just a, a beautiful ballet of time and symmetry and and... All the water shimmers perfectly yep. and there's those rainbows <laughs> cascading and that, uh, the, the, the slow-mo music. Yeah. Perception <laughs> of time is, I genuinely think, a, 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 a true, real form of drug because if you can change that, you, you do change things. So, for example, slow motion things look take on so many different properties. Time lapse will give you the most mind-bending experience of like, oh my God, the world is such a... I've seen, you know, this animal fall and die and absorbed back in and see the plants sprout out from it. I mean, of course you go fucking mad seeing those things. You feel how insignificant you are and how important you are in the same moment of time. But saying that makes you sound like a wanky asshole. <laughs> but then you get things like 21 Jump Street, which is like, how do we do this in a really silly way where someone's head's just like a cone of ice cream? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's have his eyebrows move around his face and turn into a mustache. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the key point here. How you, as a filmmaker, convey an effect or a feeling to somebody makes you a good or bad storyteller, effectively. Um, and that is, like, oh, I feel fear, I feel terror, I feel anguish, anxiety, joy, elation, arousal, just anything. You can bring so much to the table with a story and you know actors visual language of film and so on and so forth and music obviously that's a big factor as well drug use should be the same no it should be no different at all the problem is if you have people who haven't had those experiences who are like oh, i guess it's like this and you put on this very boring well you sit there and you you kind of half close your eyes and then smoke plumes from your face and you go ooh, and you try and catch the smoke and like have you it's it's the scene from fucking Forty Year Old Virgin. Have you ever touched a breast before? Yes, yeah, <laughs> firm like a sandbag. Yeah, like a bag of sand. It's like, have you ever been drunk before? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been drunk. I was licking all the poles. What do you mean licking poles? The problem is, is that with the essentially the the stronger and and more profound the effects of the drug, yeah. often cases the harder it is to 
accurately explain what that feels like. Yeah. So, you know, you can go up to someone who's like, you know, a, you know, experienced, I don't know, L- LSD user. Oh, you go yeah. like, oh man, so, so, you know, how would you explain the feeling of being on LSD? It's like, oh man, it's like if you were the custard cream and someone licked the stuffing out of you. And it's like, well, I don't know how I'm going to represent that on film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of the thing, isn't it? It's, I'll it's just have, idea- I'll just throw a load of swirly patterns up there. That'll do. <laughs> that's a, I, I've seen so many YouTube videos of like, oh, this is what it actually looks like on LSD, and it's a program generator where it starts, you know, warping the image. And you're like, I mean, I believe you, but I don't believe you. <laughs> a, to, to go back to stand up again, there's a great Bill Bailey bit where he talks about how how on acid has become this code for just like, oh, you know. Oh, this sitcom, it's Terry and June on acid. And it's like, you know, what you mean is it's slightly weird because what Terry and June on acid would actually be like was, you know, June has just got a tea cloth there and she's going, that's interesting because it's like that pattern goes, goes like that and that, that, but that doesn't bit, that bit doesn't touch that and that, and they're just doing that for 15 minutes. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's a book actually by um, uh, Thomas de Quincey from years ago, this is like 1800s, and it's called Confessions of an English Opium Eater. <laughs> and it's just De Quincey talking about his laudanum addiction. Um, and it's, 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 it's a really interesting novel. It's a really interesting, well, I say novel, biographical account, as it were. And it's like much in the same way like Aldous Huxley would just take some drugs and write down his experiences. It's the scientific mm. mindset. But it's the question of if you are good enough to convey both. Um... Again, if you ask a child to say, oh, do you have a nightmare? What did you dream about? Scary man! Is that what you're going to give me? Fucking hell, all right. I'm sorry <laughs> about the scary... It's okay, scary man can't get you. Whereas if, like, you know, if you are a really articulated Shanaki-style storyteller where you're like, what was your dream about? Okay, fucking sit down. I'll tell you my dream. Although, let's be honest with you, everybody. Everybody's dreams are boring. Nobody yeah. fucking cares. Do not tell people about your fucking dreams. Ever. They're shit. I promise you. And I think I think the the... Perhaps the most crucial and the best, to my mind, a lot of the best storytelling about drugs is is films that are able to both put you in the position of, like, this is what it is like to be on this drug, through whatever storytelling means they have, whether that's acting, mm-hmm. whether that's sound design, whether it's special effects, etc., etc. But they are also able to take the step out and go, yeah, but if someone walked into you, w- walked in on you mm. on in that room, and s- this is what they would see because yes. they're not on the drugs. Yes. This is what so this is what it feels like to be on the drugs, but this is what it looks like to be on the drugs. Um, and I think you know films that glamorize it tend towards the more like this is how it feels like everything's great, and films that demonize it tend to just be like this is how it looks. Why would anyone ever do this? You know, your teeth are falling out or whatever, etc. You know, like, st- staring into a corner kind of thing. And the truth, as it, as with most things, is just a lot more complex than that. You know, uh, and you can take that even, you know, even for something like, uh, you know, alcoholism and stuff like that, or, or you know, alcohol abuse. Uh, and take another round, for example. Like, you know, oh, this is what it's like to be drunk, you know, you know, most of the time. It's like, oh, it's great, they're having fun, they're doing all this dance. It's like, yeah, but you take a step back, that's this is what it looks like if you're drunk most of the time. And and a good film can balance those things and can show why drugs are such, you know, 
are so prevalent in our in our culture in in all their many different forms and show why that's a good thing and a bad thing and a complex thing yeah entirely i i completely agree i mentioned it about dreams because it's a good it's a good we all share those experiences kind mm. of thing almost almost exclusively or already um people buy books like oh uh, what does my dream mean i'll get a book it's like no 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 because that's based on the language you have in your head you see a, you see a spider because you remember that one time you stayed at your aunt's house and a spider sort of crawled down next to you and you got freaked out and scared that's why you have this thing that's what you're remembering is like oh i'm remembering the smell of ginger because it reminds me of my you know uncle which reminds me of a time when i was eight years old it's, it's your own language it doesn't it's yes there are obviously common unifying factors people say like oh if you have if you have if you have dreams where your teeth fall out that's uh you worried about children it's like, fucking thank you freud um <laughs> i mean that's just astrology and horoscopes and bullshit and precisely all that kind of like <laughs> Oh, it's gen one book will say one thing, one will say another thing, but they're general enough that it'll basically cover. Have you ever dreamt about your teeth? Well, yeah, pro I have. You're teeth, worried about so yourself, pro probably. In the future. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, well, I'm worried about myself in the future, and I had a dream about teeth. I don't. I'm not sure the two correlate. No, and the same thing with with drugs in films. It's like okay, so like, it's Tim mentioned the perf perfect perfect example is this is what it feels like, and this is what it looks like, uh, and. But then it's like, but if if it's what it feels like, and that's my perception, who gives a fuck? And mm. there's like, well, yeah, but you're rotting away. It's like, I'm rotting away anyway. What's the problem? It's like, <laughs> you're living in a dump, but I don't see it as a dump. So what's the problem? Um, and then you get to the level of like, well, you're living in a crack den. It's fucking awful. You should be looking after people. You've got responsibilities. And like, I mean, according to your rules, yeah, sure. I'm not a productive member of society. But then it comes back to the other thing of like, um, if you are transportative enough that you are changing your perception of reality does the old perception of reality matter anymore and the truth is usually yes because the drug is not the natural state a drug can open your eyes to things a drug can make you see things and say oh fuck i understand how things are now i should be much more considerate to the environment because we're all part of this earth and we'll fall back to this earth etc etc fine no problem at all that's great but then you need to stop doing the drugs at that point because you've you've had that illumination then stop that's <laughs> the way it stops it's like i have now eaten enough food to sustain me to replenish the energy i need time to do seven more courses and it's like no 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 you're full it's like i'm not full because i liked it <laughs> and um and it's like but if again it's like, well, what's the problem? What's the, why can't I uh, have drugs and carry to be on drugs? And that's what films tend to say. Like, well, you can't keep doing drugs, son. Why not? Because one day the drugs will run out because you can't afford them because it's still a market. You have to buy them. Mm -hmm. And when you do, you'll become back to what I see, that reality. And reality is reality. But yeah, ultimately, as far as films are concerned, as I said before, that dictionary definition of this is what it means when one thing happens on one drug doesn't exist. There's no one book of, I dreamt this, therefore it means this. I was high on cannabis. It always looks like this. That just doesn't exist. It, it's your own personal language, but there's no reason that you should go and seek it out unless you want to, whatever you're all adults, blah, blah, blah. But from a film perspective, there is always an agenda. It's like either the filmmaker is saying, no, drugs aren't nearly what you think they are, or drugs are a tool to muzzle you, or drugs are bad or drugs can be good, or drugs are everywhere. It's, it's like any story, what are you trying to tell me? Mm. And if you're not doing a good job of that, then you just end up with that. That's a pretty fucking colored yeah. film. And, and are, are the tools you're using to tell that 
the common ones that everyone uses, or are you approaching it in an interesting, different way? Yes. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off their next purchase by using the code POD. That's P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase. So head to skinstore.com slash pod dot list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply, not a drug. <laughs> Might be a drug. <laughs> I'm bit, I guess moisturize counts as a drug, right? Uh, there's guess. chemical components in it. Technically it is, yeah. Everything's a chemical, Matthew. Then yes, it's all everything, drugs. <laughs> everything is chemical. Everything is drugs. One of my favorite gifts that I've used many times on the internet. Just everything is chemical. <laughs> fucking scientists, man. See, it's drug talk is yeah. what that is. Everything's chemicals. Oh, fuck you. Chemicals. All the chemicals. I mean, aren't we all just chemicals at the end of the day? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so as we start getting into some examples. A variety of different drugs in films, shall we, gentlemen? Yes. Matt, I'll come to you first. Why don't you kick us off? Um, so people might be expecting me to come up with some very extreme examples, some independent, nuanced films, some early Shit examples. we've never heard of and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, typical some Matt fucking stuff. silent film from Russia. from the Some expressionist German thing from the 20s. Precisely, yeah. Exactly. yeah. I'm not. I'm going, I'm going basic bitch on this, I'm afraid. Oh. Um, but there is a reason for both. So first up, I'm going with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Ah, nice. Yeah. So this is the Terry Gilliam film, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, based on the book by Hunter S. Thompson. Um, and it's a bit of a weird one. And it's one that I remember seeing, uh, again, it was 1998. I just moved to Norwich. Uh, I was just a teenager. It's not a good film per se. It is, in fact... A fucking mess of a film. It's critically mid-tier stuff. It's like it's it's fine. It it barely gets about halfway through its its appreciation because it's so it's so weird and that, like oppressively aggressively weird, intentionally weird. Trying to like you know say oh it was kind of oddball. That's the point. Um, and I kind of admire its its ambition because of that. I think for me, that's 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 part of its charm. Uh, the the book itself is a very interesting. Uh, well, Hunter S. Thompson's writing is very very interesting and very unique to him. Um, the 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 Johnny Depp version, Raúl Duke and Benicio del Toro, and fucking unrecognizable performances, Doctor Gonzo. Um, it, it's all it's all fantastic and so weird and so iconic and so quotable uh, and very nineties, oddly enough. Mm. Even though it's not set in the nineties. Um, and again, the film was a failure in terms of the fact that, you know, it didn't do well, um, financially, it didn't do well critically. It's only become a cult hit over a long period of time. Um, and yet it's got like a really weird stacked cast. At one point, like Gary Busey turns up and you know, you're in a weird place. Fucking Toby Maguire's in it Toby as their Maguire. hitchhiker. Yeah. 
it's it's so it's so surreal how much just random bits and pieces but the film does something i would that i think is genuinely worth talking about and that is essentially it sums up drugs very well for me we mentioned earlier that concept of the external and internal perception of drugs the idea of what you're seeing and what you're experiencing versus what is or what isn't um and the the personality one forms when you become an addict and it becomes this almost um caricature of a person these these excessively ridiculous individuals but the best thing about this movie to me is it creates a universe of what it's like to live in that bubble constantly and i do mean constantly because uh duke this this character Raul duke he has got a a a barrage of different intoxicants and drugs and things that he can can use um and a car boot full of them quite literally yeah and when he <laughs> runs low on the things he has other things he can use we had two bags of grass 75 pellets of mescaline five sheets of high powdered blotted acid a salt shaker half full of cocaine uh, a whole galaxy of multicolored uppers downers screamers laughers uh quarter tequila rum case of beer and it's just like there's so much shit. it's like what the fuck um and then there's the whole like i knew we'd get into that rotten stuff pretty soon <clears throat> because even then there's like a level there's like a gauge of how much there is and isn't um but because he lives in that constant perpetual nature of this weird thing as well as somehow functioning enough to to write about what he's there to write about as a journalist um you you have this 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 strange universe <clears throat> this strange world that's been created and th there's a great line which is uh, suddenly there was a terrible roar from all around us and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats all swooping and screeching and diving around the car and a voice was screaming, holy Jesus, what are these goddamn animals? At the same time as the character saying it as a narration, like, fucking pigs! And uh, it's like, it's just so ridiculous. Like, no mention meant these bats, those poor bastards will find out soon enough. It's just, it's this, how can you function in our world when you're clearly <laughs> on a different plane of existence? Um, and the interaction with so many different individuals it's such a weird trip of a movie in the same way that like Apocalypse Now is a weird trip of a movie. Um, Apocalypse Now is probably a film you watch when you're high. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is what you think you were doing when you were high. You actually look like a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> and um, I think it's a very interesting... Mean, again, also it's Gilliam. So the presentation of these things visually is fantastic. I think there's lots of really iconic bits. But also because it is the nature of drugs, it kind of runs aground at times and it's like oh there's a whole scene with lizard people in a bar that's what i saw because i was on my it's like i get it because i know what you're trying to convey and gilliam has an amazing visual eye for this stuff so of course it's actually really cool but it's like but it still doesn't feel right it still feels like just some big floppy rubber godzilla suits this is not a functional anything it's not a conversation it's not a relationship it's not a partnership or friendship but by the end of the movie you're reminded that these people can function with this stuff somehow so it becomes completely passable they have sort of they exist in this constant sort of swamp state. Um, and because the film never steps outside of it too much, it's always, you know what? Yes, okay. What they're seeing and doing is weird. The fact that uh, Benicio Del Toro's character is in the bath and he's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And he's like, I want you to chuck in the toaster just as Jefferson Airplane gets to that point in White Rabbit. You know, the... We get to that bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, chuck it in. Then I want to die. Then and he's like, "Fuck you!" Fucking, you know, he throws it at his face. He goes, "Oh man, it's it's so stupid." But then it also says, "Yeah, but to be fair, this is Vegas. Society isn't that fucking great right now." 
And it's like, as much as you think the world is crazy for these drug people, the real world is just as fucking ridiculous. So <laughs> get off your fucking high horse. Yeah, yeah. It's you. It it it's so very much a film about drugs, based on a book about drugs written by someone who was on drugs while he was writing it. Yep. And so the pacing, like you say, can be off because that's just what the thought processes were like when they were being when it was being made. But like, I think, like you say, there's there's some uh, incredible like visual representation of stuff, and and just that that sense of Im- uh, immersing you in how weird these people are because of how kind of addled their brains are on this d- d- incredible cocktail of drugs and you know of various kinds including booze and cigarettes and stuff like that and it and it leaves you there until that starts to become almost normal and comforting <laughs> um and you start to kind of you develop this weird affection for these characters and and you're kind of like oh you know i hope they they go on all right and it's like no they're not it's gonna end awful like you need to go back to seeing them with the fresh eyes that you had at the beginning of the film because like they are just this chaotic like you say this this is not these are not functional people and yet somehow they are functioning it's it's the fact that you spend so much time with them that they become charming uh, whereas when they first think, who are these? You would not spend five seconds with these fucking lunatics. They're like, ah, I get them now. It's like, that's the trick. The longer you spend with it, the more you realize the life isn't that bad. Uh, and he goes to a, like a seminar and the speech is like, these dirty, degenerate drug users and they masturbate too much. And then, you know, Jude looks at his trousers and sees us and then crusted semen stain and starts scratching off. Like, oh no, they're going to say I'm one of them. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a thing I recommend people probably watch as an experience, but not one they go in going, this is going to change my life. It's like, no, no, no. It's some good bits, great quotes, great scenes, but a bit of a slog. If, if you think that uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas changed your life, you may want to re-examine your habits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's bounce. Let's bounce back to Jack. I don't usually bounce back. I usually bounce to Tim. Jack. We're shaking it up, Matt. Clearly, we're, we're going yeah. against the grain. We're going going against the grain. We're going crazy. We're yeah. all, it's like we're on drugs, man. It's crazy. <laughs> That's where drugs kicked in. Um, exactly. Outside Barstow. So, uh, Jack, what are you bringing us? I'm taking us forward a, a decade or so into the 2000s, to the the great year of 2008. Oh, that was a terrible discuss. Year, man. I, I, I'm aware. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about a modern, relatively modern, 13 years old, like I said, stoner comedy, Pineapple Express, which you probably know as the Seth Rogen and James Franco chud up a towel involving thing. And yeah, and ended up being directed by um, David Gordon Green, but stars um, Seth Rogen and James Franco, written by Rogen and Goldberg, who are now like, basically written everything that you see mm. <laughs> <laughs> into writing Preacher and all kinds of other shit and, yeah, and various yeah. other Seth Rogen projects and all sorts of stuff. But it, it was kind of, I feel like this is the pinnacle of the the, the Rogen-Franco stoner thing that was going on. And it was kind of bubbling around like th- that era of like super bad and all that kind of stuff. We had this kind of new 
American comedy stylings going on in the 2000s. And this feels like the most kind of the, the, the peak of Seth Rogen's stonerinus, if that makes sense. Despite the fact that he himself now owns a weed company in real life. <laughs> So maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe maybe 2021 is the peak of Seth Rogen's stone <laughs> arenas. But um, yeah, so it's it's kind of a combination of your typical and 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 very often these stoner companies like like Harold and Kumar and stuff like that will do it and, and Cheech and Chong way back in the day as well will take a twist on like they're snapped back into reality by something horrible and they have to like oh they've gotten messed up with drug dealers and now they have to deal with like real harrowing terrifying situations. But they're stone, so it's fine, and that was what makes it funny. And Pineapple Express basically does that. They, Seth Rogen is getting stoned in his car, and he witnesses a murder, and then like the triad get involved, I think. And all I'm trying to remember, I haven't watched it in a few years, but like <laughs> that sounds all, like, like most stoner comedies. It's like you tend to watch it when you're usually high. You're like, this, it was great. I really enjoyed it. What happens in it? I don't fucking remember. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, it's just like the most stonery of stoner comedies and i remember being in like i hadn't really delved into that very much like i said my dad had tried to get me watch cheech and chong when i was younger and i had i gave no fucks <laughs> when i was like 15 trying to watch that's cheech right. and chong movies um and this was kind of my introduction to that side of cinema so that's why I, the when you think when i think of drugs and films this is often the stoner comedy i think of i've never gone out of my way to watch the harold and kumar movies i don't plan to not really my thing first one's all right Okay, there you go. I assume you've seen every single one of them, Matthew, because you're an absolute masochist. Yes. Yeah, of course you have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember enjoying Pineapple Express back in the day. That it it balances the kind of actual crime, terrifying people getting murdered and tortured and stuff quite nicely with with the comedy side of things, and kind of cemented Franco and Rogan as that that classic kind of stoner duo, despite the problems that both men have had since then you know shaky careers and frank has made some questionable mm, personal things and, questionable yeah. things yeah entirely yeah it, it's it's okay i want to just talk about this very briefly because i um i don't know maybe it was a 2008 put yourself in context here i was 24 years old um i was just that sort of maturity age where you start looking back at other things you've done in your 20s like what the fuck is wrong with me wake the fuck up <laughs> um huge personal things happening at the time as well but um i'd gone through like the the 70s Cheech and chong sort of stuff uh well a, a few a few of them i should point out not like everything up in smoke and things like that and uh some of the Chappelle things like um uh half baked and such and uh kevin smith things snooch to the motherfucking nooch and all that sort of things and yeah kevin smith is a weird example because yeah. he wasn't a stoner when he was writing all of those stoner films no and then later became a stoner thanks to seth rogan <laughs> on zach and miriam make a porno he introduced him and he was like oh this is what i've been writing about for the last 10 years <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh, again 2008 i was like watch pineapple express and it was when i started to go oh i don't get it and i don't mean i don't get it because there's some funny <laughs> scenes like him like, kicking through the window of the cop car and his foot getting stuck is hilarious there's lots of really standout comedy but i was just like i don't care about this movie i don't find it particularly funny it's and I should point out I like a lot of the um, sort of Rogan Goldberg kind of thing. Sometimes I thought uh, the references to Pineapple Express in This Is the End was actually very funny. Uh, the sort of mm, callback things yeah. uh, that made sense to me. But 
the drug culture, I was like, I was just kind of tired of it. I was just kind of bored. Um, and what became fascinating to me was David Gordon Green, the director. Because he did Your Highness after that, which was fucking terrible. Oh, God, awful. <laughs> but then he did a couple of uh, Prince Avalanche and Joe in one year, which were both really interesting films. And then he did a few other bits of pieces. He's doing, he did Halloween last year. Or not last year, my God, I'm thinking it's 2019 again. Three years ago. Three Matthew. years ago, thank you. And Halloween Kills later this year. Uh, you know, pandemic pending and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, so it's like that versatile range of different movies is is frankly stunning. That's that's a really interesting range there. But again, Pineapple Express is one of those things where it's a comedy where there's not a lot of not a lot of visually interesting like a Lord and Miller doing something because they're such a visually vibrant, interesting sort of group of creatives or or an Edgar Wright as it were that kind of thing. You can do that. There's really you have the scope and the the physical mind to do that kind of stuff. Uh, you know that that kind of storytelling visually. But then to have somebody who's like got this massive range of genre pieces that can do things. And I thought, oh, it just feels like a very routine comedy. It's very much like these guys are going to add a little bit. I'll make sure it's lit normally so I can catch everything. It's all running from multiple angles, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, Pineapple Express never got me. I know a lot of people really love it. I know it's a big fan favorite. Um, and it made so much fucking money, which is always the thing with drug stoner comedy films. And I think uh, Jack Black talked about this when he did the Tenacious D Pick of Destiny. Stoners are not a good, reliable market for film. <laughs> it's being released oh, on this day. I've Make got, sure you're there. I've got to go out of my house to... Oh, fucking hell. I yeah, it's the whole... Man, I, can't, I, can't I love that movie. Cinema. I've seen it a million times. I'm like, great. Where were you four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the, the interesting things that, that um, uh, Pineapple Express does touch on that we, we, we talked a little bit about but didn't really dive into is... Sure. is the the illegal drug trade essentially yeah. because it's about the relationship between a a seth rogan who i believe is like a a, a subpoena server um he is yes uh mm. and i still don't know what that is for the record <laughs> um and uh a uh and james franco is his drug dealer and it's about the relationship between the two and and it starts out where seth rogan is just like I just want to buy the weed and get out of here. And James Franco is like desperate to be friends, and and you know it's them them forming a friendship in the midst of this you know crazy plot. And obviously there are other sort of it, it travels higher up the chain of this drug dealing network and gets to you know the the from your kind of just friendly neighborhood dealer of James Franco up to the scary people who are like. Oh no, we have guns and shit, and you know, we're killing cops and things like that. But the it, it sort of so it, it in a lot of ways it kind of touches on the various different uh, tropes of drug providers <laughs> yeah. um, that that people are familiar with, where it's kind of like, oh, okay, this guy he's just completely harmless, and then. There's uh the guy who's played by the guy who's played by Danny McBride who is kind of like oh no he's sort of friendly but he's also threatening and and clearly doesn't put up with shit and you yeah. don't yeah. feel comfortable. Like he's ha he has a conversation with them at the table and there's just a mountain of cocaine in the middle of the table and he's just yeah. like as if that's perfectly normal in his world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have. I think it's Gary Cole who plays the, the actual drug kingpin. Yeah. Um, mm. And it's like, oh, no, you don't. This is a guy you don't fuck with. Mm. Um, and the 
the the sort of the relationship between a person and their drug dealer is so fascinating because of the illicit nature of the the service that they're providing which means there's a again i keep going back to stand up but it's it's something where drugs are often discussed uh and i think it's um i'm pretty sure it's a john mulaney bit where he talks about how as drugs get legalized drug dealers are in for a rude awakening because drug drugs are essentially going to be like ordering takeout you know and when the chinese takeaway arrives we don't let the chinese takeaway guy hang out with us and, and eat some of the food <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, yeah eat some of the food and say weird things to the girls we're hanging out with and let it slide because we don't want to piss him off yeah. you know uh, and it's it's like you know it's a fascinating kind of thing of like how drug purchasing is changing in america as, as it gets delegalized uh, yeah. uh, uh, gets legalized um and decriminalized um and yeah it's the 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 kind of the uh this this weird subculture of like oh yeah you know well if you if you're going to buy drugs well you've got to kind of hang out for a while because you've got to you know etiquette. prove you yeah it's it's the weird etiquette of it and and you know you'd think that these are people who are not hung up on etiquette and some of it is some of it's about security and it's like you know well you've got to hang around long enough for them to know that you're not a cop and for you to know that they're not a cop yeah. and you know and all this go, uh, uh, but also you know you've just you've got to kind of like hang out with them a bit because 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 they have to they they've got to spend all day just hanging around their house just in case people turn up and want drugs. Um, so they're, they're kind of lonely. Um, Which we wouldn't do with so many other professions. Yeah. Uh, at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's because it it's illegal, you know, and it's like, well, you're very limited. You can't just go, there is no Tesco's for weed, you know. <laughs> but obviously that's changing in America. And now you have dispensaries and you could just show up and just be like, yeah, hi, I just want this thing. Yeah, okay, go, uh, off I go. Uh, and you know, here's here's my little card or whatever. Which, which um, let's face it, some people will look back in the future and say, "Oh, there used to be a great time where you'd sit down with a guy. It was more approachable, like a mum and pop style thing." Like, what yeah, the fuck yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's all you can just go now. to a counter. There, there was some. They poured heart and soul into naming their strains. <laughs> yeah, you used to sit down. You'd have a chat. They'd make you a cup of tea. You'd watch an episode of Rick and Morty together, and then you know, <laughs> and then you'd go on your way, and your day was better for it. It's like. Yeah, but also I had to sit there while they like poked their pet anaconda with a with a commemorative <laughs> katana that they've got <laughs> to try and encourage it to eat the frozen mouse that they just plopped in there. Yeah. And I just had to sit there on the a very stained a very stained sofa uh and just hope I wasn't absorbing stuff through the air. It's it's <laughs> it always reminds me of the scene in Boogie Nights with Alfred Molina as the drug dealer and they like Oh yeah. To- that's fantastic. That, that's a the, scene to watch on. Like the YouTube kid, the kid it. just setting off the fireworks. Oh, <laughs> just fucking oh, brilliant. I love that scene. I love Alfred Molina. Yeah. Anyway, well, Tim, over to you for your first mm. pick. Uh, so my first pick. We talked. We've talked a lot, obviously, about American drug culture because we're talking about film, and we are dominated by Hollywood. But my picks are both non-american oh so let's start let's start with a british film uh i'm going to talk about 24 hour party people amazing uh which is a semi 
fictionalized biography of uh, uh, a record label, essentially. Um, it is uh, the story of Factory Records um, and follows um, Steve Coogan playing Tony Wilson, who was the guy who was, who was a news reporter and kind of music journalist to establish Factory Records, which was this hugely influential and yet extremely chaotic record label um, in Manchester uh, in Northern England and were around for the kind of beginning of punk through to um, sort of the 80s post-punk uh, wave and then into the, the essentially the kind of ecstasy dance era of the 90s. Um, and because it's a film that's largely about music and about the culture of music, because it's not, it's not following an individual musician, although there are some that become yeah. recurring characters throughout it, it's following a, a record label essentially. Um, and, a and a, a record label executive, um, it's immersed in the culture of music as much as it is just what the music is like. And that comes with connections to drugs. Um, and so it's it's a really fascinating cross-section of drug because a lot of drug films, they tend to be, oh, it's a stoner comedy, so it's all about weed. Or, oh, it's a heroin drama, so it's all about heroin. 24-Hour Party People is... There's all kinds going on there. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's obviously, you know, there's drinks and there's cigarettes being smoked constantly. Um, I'm pretty sure there's, there's, there's some weed going on in various scenes. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it features the Happy Mondays, who were one of the very notable bands that were signed by Factory Records, uh, many of whom had pretty prodigious heroin habits and um, at certain points are trying to go clean and so are on methadone. And then they, there's a scene where they are jetting off to, I think, Jamaica to try and make their second album and they break <laughs> they they're fighting with the trolleys in the airport like pushing stuff around and wreck their entire con like doses of methadone that they have for the trip and are like shit so so they landed jamaica and are like right but well, we're going to take all the money we were going to spend on making the record and use it to buy heroin instead so there's there's drugs and you know there's there's people interacting with drugs in that way but then there's also the culture that grew out of the late 80s 90s uh, early 90s dance scene and ecstasy becoming a huge drug uh, on that scene and that is less there's less it, it's not a film where a lot you see a lot of people ne even necessarily like under the influence it doesn't follow people's particular drug trips but it shows you people who are immersed in that, you know, Sean Ryder and Bears and stuff like cl so clearly like spend a lot of their time, you know, out of their heads on heroin. You're not necessarily dealing th with them when they are on drugs, but they're still feeling the effects of them and they're still acting in a way that is their, their behavior is so dictated by their addictions. And when it gets to the nineties in, in the story of factory records and the, the, the the hacienda which was the club they built which became this amazing mecca for for dance music at the time operated basically on ecstasy they say like the 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 problem with the hacienda is that even when it had become this you know and and at the time it was it was you know 
dance music became this incredible, you know, even more than it was in America at the time, it became this huge thing in in Britain at the time. And there was all these concerns about, you know, drugs and stuff like that. And they were like, even though essentially the entire country was looking to Manchester, where which was, you know, on the front, you know, all the interesting bands were coming out of that area. It wasn't making them any money because nobody was nobody was going to the club and drinking. They were going to the club on ecstasy and buying bottles of water to keep themselves hydrated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so the club wasn't seeing any of that money. You know, it was all going to dealers. and. Mm-hmm. You know they had to they had to let the drug dealers you know still be in there because if it wasn't then no one no one would go to the club and it mm-hmm. you know they said it gets to the point where the bouncers couldn't keep the drug dealers out so they instead they just decided to hire the drug dealers to be the bouncers <laughs> you know and yeah, stuff like that yeah. and it's it's a really fascinating look at the way that drugs can become enmeshed in a culture mm-hmm. and it also I think it is a pretty level-handed even-handed look at drugs because there are moments where you you can see you can see the 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 bits of talent that Sean Ryder has as a songwriter in the Happy Mondays and you can see how that is destroyed by his like heroin habit and you know the the, the just the, the the complete shambles that they make of trying to be a functioning band um you know, and you've got Ian Curtis, who obviously, uh, in an earlier kind of period in the in the punk and the post punk period, um, was the lead singer of Joy Division and died tragically young. And you know, is someone who possibly, you know, in a better age where mental health was better understood, probably could have benefited from some drugs uh, that would help you know regulate his you know various issues that had. And then you have stuff like the scenes at the Hacienda, where where when it when it is capturing that euphoria of dance music and the fact that uh, there's a great bit where it's you know it's um Tony Wilson kind of speaking to camera and, and narrating and saying how the people here are applauding but they're not applauding a band they're not applauding a performer they're applauding the DJ which means they're applauding just the music you know and it it becomes in a, in a lot of ways it's the purest form you know there's they're not they're not celebrating a particular celebrity, you know. It's not. It's not as much about that cult of celebrity as as a lot of pop music can be. It's purely about that communal experience, which is partially fueled by ecstasy, but doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, and so I think you know at those moments you're like, and especially God, we're you know two years into a pandemic essentially now, or into our second year of pandemic, and oh god like sometimes you'll i'll watch a scene of a film or you know something like this where it's like a clubbing scene and i'm like oh i wish i could go clubbing again i miss it so (laughs) much i miss just being on a dance floor and and having that amazing experience where there is a throw some fucking shapes i've seen it (laughs) (laughs) uh you know and you you get those tiny moments of like community and synchronicity uh and you know sometimes those are fueled by drugs but it you can even have because it's a culture, you can have a room where maybe 30% are on drugs, but their euphoria is also carrying along the rest of the people who are just there enjoying the music and stuff like that. But anyway, it's it's a fascinating look at a, a, a company and a culture and a city, you know, that, that are 
so enmeshed at these points, kind of crisscrossed with these injections of certain drugs coming in at certain times and how that affected the the progress of this company these musical movements and these these sort of scenes and cultures and communities Mm. i mentioned earlier about how perspective of time changes things um so if you see like a a time lapse sequence or you see something on slow motion uh tim's example of the six examples we're going to talk about today in this half of the episode is the only one that spans multiple decades i think Mm. that's really fascinating because it does talk about the trends uh from an almost corporate point of view because of tony wilson being the sort of bit of a sleazy sleazy douchebag a fascinating character to watch probably an immensely irritating person to actually be around entirely yeah exactly yeah Yeah. but because it covers literally uh, like mid 70s to early 90s so it's sort of three decades but not really but you know what's a decade um you know, three distinct periods that were different types of music and the evolution from the types of drug from alcohol, as you say, to to uh, marijuana and um, pills and ecstasy and all that kind of shit and just going off the rails of it all. We talk about functionality and being able to perform and, and you know, people holding down jobs. 24-hour party people is a perfect example of these people not only held down functional jobs, they created amazing fucking music in the process. Art. And mm. yet, it can be so detrimental that it's like, they've come back, here's the album. Sounds great. Where's Sean's vocals? Yeah. And then he like, hooks <laughs> so, it out of the room, it's like, he didn't record anything. It's like, fucking what? We're, we're holding them ransom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? For more drug money. Oh, that's fucking yeah. Uh, Matt, we're back around to you. So I mentioned mine as sort of 101 films, as it were. And the other one, while Fear and Loathing is much a film of, here's what it looks like in the world of the drug user, where everything is crazy, but it's kind of cool. You're never going to actually die. even no No matter how close you get to the face of God, don't worry, you're safe. You've got drugs. This next choice is the exact opposite. It's all <laughs> this is exactly what you look like all the time. You grab a cop's gun, motherfucking idiot. <laughs> a film the word harrowing was invented for. Most definitely. And weirdly <laughs> enough, my wife's favorite movie. Um although Really? Yeah, yeah, Em loves this movie. But she would also say, right. well, it's her favorite film. She she'll dice around and go, oh, maybe it's this. But she'll always circle back. She loves, absolutely loves the director in question. I'm sort of teasing what this is. Um loves the, the, the director's work and yet she also appreciates while it's one of her favorite films for everything it does it's not a film she'll just go let's just chuck this on hey yeah it's not Thursday a sunday night. afternoon fuck yeah that. it's when you watch it once you have your life changed and you go fuck me i i have to go away and think for a while so the film in question is darren aronofsky's requiem for a dream which again is, I think, one of the most iconic drug-based movies because it centers on so many forms of addiction. It's not just uh, amphetamines and heroin and alcohol. It's it's just pure addiction. The, the just the chaos that comes from addiction and what you do, your how your world warps because of addiction um and how ultimately it will if this film is to be believed as well it will destroy you 
it will always, always destroy you because it's bigger than you. And this is why it's quite interesting. It's about hubris. It's not about the sense of drugs are bad. It's trying to say humans can't handle drugs. Is what it's trying to do. Um, and it's set in like uh, Brighton Beach in, in the States. And uh, this is one of those examples where we, we, we bash a few actors every now and again. And we're like, oh God, I can't fucking stand this guy or that person. But there'll always be an example of like, except in this film. They're fucking amazing in this film. It's like, oh yeah, Jamie Kennedy's a prick. He's actually really good in Scream and he's actually really good in Romeo and Juliet because he's kind of playing that kind of excitable kind of idiot. So that makes sense. It fits him. Harry, Harry Goldfarb is a heroin addict and he is played by Jared Leto. Um, and he is fantastic in this movie, um, as is Jennifer Connelly and Marlon Wayans, who plays Tyrone. And they're like a group of three friends that were in that regard. And they're a close knit group, but they, they also have, you know, uh, drug problems, to say the least. But they functionally survive through it somehow. It's kind of weird. Um... And again, Marlon Wayans, you would think, oh, Wayans, brother, this is going to be hilarious. <laughs> he can't act to save his No, again, the man is fucking fantastic in this movie. Absolutely fantastic. And on top of that, you have the other sort of, you know, overriding element, which is Ellen Bernstein's character of, of Sarah, which is um, uh, Harry's mum. And she is uh, essentially a widow, lives on her own. She watches TV all the time in a sort of isolated existence, back to that sort of like crack den style thing of her living in her own. She has her friends and she's all very chatty. And uh, she has an attempt, uh, wins the opportunity to go on this game show uh, presented by Chris McDonald in a fucking amazing, amazing role. Um, mm. I, I believe his entire thing was almost entirely ad lib, his scenes, but that's not. I believe entire. so, yeah. 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 Anyway, so. Um, she gets the chance to go on the show. She gets so excited about it that she ends up deciding to go um, on these prescribed amphetamines to control her appetite because she thinks, oh, I want to get on a crash diet to fit into a dress that I wore years ago for my son's graduation. So on one hand, you have the heroin addicts doing silly things to try and uh, traffic drug stuff for the Sicilian mafia and so much is fucking going on there. It's crazy. At the same time as this older lady who just wants to get a bit thinner so she can go to nice look nice on the tv simple as that and i love that that juxtaposition that parallel between the two because it almost talks to the gold farbs both mother and uh, and sons addictive personality and how one drug is perfectly fine by society standards and the other one is you know demonized and horrible but they're both just as damaging to the to the wrong person and it goes how so far gone in the sense that um Sarah um has her increased doses, she becomes a distorted warped sense of reality. She starts to hallucinate and she pro projects what it'd be like when she's in this crowd. She then has to go under undergo electroshock therapy and that sort of stuff. And um uh Harry and Tyrone are trying to sort of do this drug deal to buy heroin in from somewhere else, trying to get themselves killed. Harry's been taking but injecting into his arm which has started to go gangrenous and it's like oh it's disgusting oh the um, gangrenous arm fucks me up every oh. time and it's like it's it's the cool. classic like smoking through the hole in your neck it's like oh my god this is infected from this nasty heroin but i really want the heroin so i'm gonna stick it into the pussy arm and it's like oh fuck me <laughs> man <laughs> have <laughs> some fucking and at the same time marion's trying to get some money so she ends up finally taking this fucking uh pimp style sort of 
guy. I think he's not, he's not pimp per se, but might as well be. Um, played by Keith David. Played by Keith David called Big Tim. It's the whole, like, when you're so far gone, you'll do anything for not only drugs for yourself, but drugs for other people to try and um, get you out of a hole, get you out of a situation, mm. a horrible, shitty situation. You'll end up, um, you know, doing terrible things that you never thought you would. And it's, there's, mm. there's a scene earlier in the film, she's, you know, he's, he's, he's approached her and she's rebuffing him immediately. And then by the end of the film, she's happy to go with it. And it's a horrible scene because it, it cuts between all of the leads experiences on as they're so far gone they've lost themselves it's it's them being consumed by it precisely yeah Yeah. it's yeah yeah, it's it's such a i said earlier harrowing ending because it's it's and you see the web of relationships that these people have where they are they are they are lost to their addiction and they are enabling each other at the same time it's that thing of you know Oh well, you know she's 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 in withdrawal at the moment, so I need to go and get some drugs so she'll feel better. Not seeing that that you know the the way to help that person is to help them get through it and and you know clean up or whatever. But but no, oh no, she needs she needs this, so I'll go and get it. And oh, and while I've got it, I guess I'll do some more some of myself as well. And you know, and then you know, oh well, we need to pay for this, so you know, you need to do this. And it's yeah, like, well, yeah, you need to prostitute yourself. And it's like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. It's like, well, you love me and we want to do this together, right? And it's like, that's yeah. fucking monstrous. But you logic yourself. You are, that, that, That's the, the addict's logic. <clears throat> I mean, there's always a thing which people who survived addicts, um, whether you're a, a, a family member who's like um, been around someone who's been addicted to anything, you can, it can scar you for obvious reasons. And the, this mantra of never trust an addict. Now, that's obviously, it sounds horrible. Um, because the phrasing is bad. What it should be is never underestimate an addict because mm. no matter how clean you've been, no matter how long you've given up something, one dark day can fucking destroy mm. everything. Mm. And it's it's not the fact that this person is weak. It's not that at all. It's literally down to this is in your system. It is a disease. It is a personality not deficit, but it's definitely a thing that shifts who you are. Mm. It's once once you know that you have that problem, it's very hard to walk away from it. And and this movie captures so much of it. And it's from uh, the year two thousand is the exact release day. I know it's one of those sort of like is it ninety nine is two thousand, but it's exactly the year two thousand, I believe, in terms of how it was released in America and over in Britain. And it doesn't feel like a 90s movie. It feels like when I was exactly on the cusp 2000s movie, it was a little bit ahead of its time. The score by Clint Mansell is amazing. And by amazing, I mean there's the, there's that beautiful um, theme which was reworked for uh, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers trailer. Um, but ultimately, it's horrifically manic. The, mo- the leitmotifs used are, are just so painfully, aggressively all over the place. And much like trying to explain the, that, as I said before, what's it like to be on drugs kind of thing, it just says, well, I'm going to onslaught you now. I'm going to just basically assault your senses because that's what happens when it becomes too much. The editing style of Requiem for a Dream is really kind of emphasizes all of that. You get those fast yes. cuts from like mm. the, the, <laughs> and the the famous kind of eye and then the pupil dilating kind of thing. And then, yeah. the, mm. oh, they're rolling a rolling a spliff or whatever it is and then mm. something drops into a mug and then something drops onto a tongue and then cut 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 mm. oh there's mm. a needle in an arm cut 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 and it's all mm. flashing lights and really frantic mad shit and sometimes they're sober sometimes they're out of their face 
incredibly influential in terms of how drugs are portrayed on film. You know, it, it was one 100%. of those things where no. people were like, oh, that's a good way of showing it. And then it got endlessly <laughs> replicated, like to the point where it's there's yeah. Simpsons episodes that reference it, where it's, I think, him... You beat me, you beat me to it, Tim. <laughs> it became this shorthand in pop culture. You know, we talk about how, you know, are you are you talking, are you getting across the experience of being on these drugs in an interesting way? And this was at the time a very unique way to do it. And then it just became this endlessly replicated because it's like, oh yeah, you know, that's how it feels. It's like, well, mm-hmm. yes, it 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 can do, but like maybe <laughs> maybe think about it more than just like, oh yeah, we'll do it like Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> Again, that that time di- that time dilation, time movement is the idea of like What's it like? It was like, well, first of all, if you think about addiction, there are triggers. There are things that that, that sort of start you on that. And it's, if, if you're saying like, listen, mate, I'm in a bar. I need someone to talk to. It's like, you're already fucking stage five at this point. You're already far gone. I'm not saying it's, you, you, I'm, again, I don't want to give across the wrong image there. I'm not saying someone is uh, irredeemable. I'm just saying that the triggers in your head is, <sighs> I'm a little bit bored. I'm a little bit lonely. Stop right there. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, stop right there. I know where this goes. That's that's stage one. And then you progress and finally you've got a needle in your arm. That's the kind of, th- that's how you start with these things. And the way that it does it is like, you know, they'll present, the, the film will present the show with these quick cuts to um, just sitting around thinking, I'm with my friends, I'm comfortable, got some music going. And then I'll go to literally something being a note being rolled up. This drugs on the counter, the uh, dilating eyeball, the blood vessel quickening in the veins, um, all this sort of stuff. And it's like that's it. That's how quickly it takes to get you. So that that's. I don't know if that's necessarily conveying what it's like to be on drugs. That's <laughs> conveying what it's like to accidentally have gone. Oh shit! In the same way that this is presented all the time in a romantic movie, uh, as weird as it sounds, where you're like. You just sit in there quietly and tense opposite each other. And then that one leaps on the other one. They start kissing, making out. And then suddenly it cuts to those codes on the floor and it montages to having sex and there's some writhing and then it's over. And it's like, what the fuck just happened? How did you get from there yeah. to there? You you tripped and fell on this dick. What, mm. the, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but that's what that sequence does. It's like, yeah, because this was always an inevitability. That starting bit, that was already us there. We're enjoying ourselves. We're having some fun, you know, just sitting there. And then your mind starts to wonder, what would it be like to grab this cop's gun and mess around with it? It'd be like, crazy. Then it cuts back and it's like, this didn't happen. It's like, yeah, this time, fucking hell. Um, mm, yeah. But it, it, you're right, it became a shorthand for how you present these things. And it's it's something we, I think something people would more associate with uh, Shaun of the Dead and Edgar Wright In, in some ways, yeah. 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 That, yeah. Chung, 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 chung. It's like, oh, that's must be, yeah, you know, yeah. off the door, off to the thing, down the Winchester mm. pub and thing, whatever it is. But it was done in a very uh, shocking, invasive, in-your-face, very Aronofsky yeah, kind yeah. of way. It's purposefully disorienting, isn't it? It's, it's yes, very unpleasant. Yes. Um, it is when Homer eats the rib witch, which is the crusty version oh, of the quick rib, yeah, yeah. and he gets That's addicted it. and the pupil dilates, and you, you yeah. see the sugar and the salt through his blood vessels, and, and then he just he stood there like... Just foaming at the mouth yeah. and like quivering, and his hands shaking, and the the guy dressed as a giant rib is just laughing and laughing and laughing and louder and louder and louder. <laughs> it, it this is the key thing that Rick River Dream does that's the most important thing for me. It 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 blurs the line between ah, but I'm okay, and and she just Sarah feels like her son is gonna like settle down, be married, and happy and successful in a suit and fucking. You know, oh, there's my son, that kind of thing. It's like, you do realize how bad it is for your son and what he's doing. Yeah, if I did, though, it would be terrible. And it's like, you do realize you're exactly the fucking same with your diet pills. It's showing that 
what we said earlier, that society deems one acceptable and one is not, even though they're the exact same thing. One's semi-regulated, even though it's not really. Um, but one is more marketable um, and just damaging and physically damaging. Physically, they live, they, their living conditions depreciate so quickly and what they're willing to put themselves through and the debasements emotionally, psychologically, sexually, um, and the fact that ends up with, it ends up with, you know, a lost arm and Ellen Bernstein, fucking amazing performance. I'm so, I'm so frustrated she didn't get an Oscar for it. She got a nomination for lots of things, but lost to Julia Roberts every single time, unfortunately, because of, I want to say Aaron Brockovich, but I'm not sure. But the point is that she transitions from, oh, it's a nice little old granny to looking like a fucking ghoul on a train because um, mm. she's just so zonked out. And it's like, this is crazy. And it's, but it's, the film is so, over in how easy it is to go down this road and it is not it's fault of circumstance as well as as, as these individuals and their personalities and stuff like that. so it's not like the pointing f- finger of judgment it's it's the the ultimate cautionary tale although having said that i have no idea what hubert selby jr who wrote the book thinks of the film i don't know if he likes it or not i don't know if it's like, mm. well, I was like wow i don't think that's pretty bullshit because that's usually what happens when a, you know a, a novel is is adapted but um yeah it's a, it's a good film. I recommend it with caution. Jack. Hey, Matt. Pineapple Express. What are you moving up to yeah. next? Something similar, something different? Something, uh, something very good on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> There's a controversial statement to stir up the comments there, Tim. Thanks for that. Yeah. Pineapple deserves to be on pizza. There's nothing wrong with pineapple on pizza. How dare put, you? Put marijuana on uh, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> that too, make an edible pizza. Do you do you, America? Whatever. But the funny thing you should mention that adapting from books and stuff like that, Matthew, because yeah. I'll talk about the other side of drugs that we haven't particularly addressed, and that is the corruption and all the political bullshit and governmental, like, some things are acceptable for the government to do, some things aren't, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to talk about the 2006. Animated question mark film <laughs> called A Scanner Darkly. And the reason I say animated with a question mark is because it's rotoscoped and it is animated. There are a bunch of stuff obviously added in post essentially. But it's base it's live capture performance that is then changed into what appears to be like a an animated film and it is bizarre and purposefully visually confusing and uses its rotoscope style brilliantly in my opinion and the whole thing and again not not to spoil too much but the whole thing is about this substance d this this base this new talk about fictional drugs it's based on a philip k dick novel surprise surprise he's talking about drugs because (laughs) Okay, Dick did a lot of drugs. (laughs) And uh, Substance D is this, basically this hallucinogenic thing that people start seeing as this positive thing, but eventually the couple of the main characters take enough and they start getting really paranoid. In particular, Robert Downey Jr.'s character, um, Barris, is like, keeps seeing bugs all over the place and starts scratching himself and freaking out and stuff. Keanu Reeves is in it. Woody Harrelson's in it. Winona Ryder. It's a fantastic bloody cast. And it basically boils down into some people, uh, and again, I'm I'm trying to do as little as possible, talk about the themes without spoiling it too much. 
in that it talks about governmental bodies and their attempts to try and control drugs and uh, drugs, try and control drugs and root out systems and drug dealers and all this kind of stuff. And then you find out, well, who's producing this new drug? And you try and work out like, okay, so is that organization like a legal company? Are they being backed by the government? Is this all a way to control the people, which is a very Philip K. Dick thing to do. And it basically does this whole, they try and work out, you know, there's this undercover agent and you don't, one of the characters is undercover and you don't know which one it is. And they've got this really cool, like Rorschach style shifting mask thing called a scramble mask, a scramble suit, sorry. And the visuals are so weird and bizarre and will swap from like fairly normal to absolutely insane. And the, the rotoscoped animation style just enhances all of that. And it plays around with, well, if this big corporation is making drugs, like big pharmaceutical companies do, and it's backed by the government in certain ways, or is it? And then you're like, well, is that any different to like a big corporation making a bunch of heroin? Is that any different from like a cartel churning, harvesting all these poppy seeds and turning it into opiate and then turning it into heroin. And it really brings like the questions of these larger pharmaceutical companies and their, their relationships with essentially the, the big pharmaceutical companies' relationships with governments and, and how much pull and push they have in the economy and how much say with the legalization of other drugs. And certain companies will have so much influence that they will get other drugs banned before they're even released on the on the market and stuff so they maintain their monopolizing control of it it's a fascinating look at that side of things and i love philip k dick i i, I find the the style of it really unique and interesting and i think it's got some great performances as well am i am i right in thinking it, it's one of those films where i've watched it i think i've watched it all the way through but i i definitely it's one where <laughs> i tried to watch it and and I think I tried to watch it on a plane the first time and I was just like, this is not the right situation for this. And then definitely it, not. No. It took me a few tries to go through. Am I right in thinking it's the substance D you can get addicted to it just by looking at it or something? Or am I completely uh, forgetting? Yes. That? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a very interesting film in terms of kind of grappling with sort of identity and, and the idea, you know, and ideas that have, you know, were originally peddled as conspiracy theories and then, oh, shockingly, have some of these have turned out to be actually pretty accurate of yep. how yeah. much a role the government has in allowing drugs to hit often communities of colour and to uh, the way that, you know, even stuff like legislation, you know, you can look in America at mandatory minimums and the difference between crack cocaine and regular cocaine uh, <laughs> um and how they are treated differently by the law and you know the groups that are using them and and all that kind of stuff and and how much is there a just sort of uh uh almost sort of just a shrug and a kind of like a oh well you know these these people are using it but uh we don't really care about them so that's fine we'll allow them we'll allow this dangerous thing to destroy their community or will allow will allow this substance to uh proliferate amongst this community because then we can turn around and go this thing's bad so now we get to arrest all these people you know um and, and those kind of things and like say you know the, the the way that pharmaceutical companies 
are profiting off of, you know, and it's very prescient. And you look at the opioid crisis now and, you know, it feels like it could have been made yesterday. And, mm. you know, you and and you look at stuff like, you know, the sort of drug cartels and how they're allowed, you know, how enmeshed they are with governments and, you know, blind eyes are turned towards activities and things like that. And and, mm. it, and it does become, you know, we talked about how you have to accept, you know, if you're doing an illegal substance at some point, the criminals are making money off of it, but mm. probably also governments are making money off of it and companies are making money off of it. Mm. There's a there's a rich history of the CIA being involved in supporting particular cartels against other cartels and yeah. supporting particular, you know, coups in certain countries that then led to a drug crisis in that country because the economy was fucked because of the power vacuum that was created and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And as well as the big pharmaceutical stuff, Scanner Darkly also talks about police involvement as well. Mm. You've got the you've got the various undercover agents, you've got the multiple layers of certain characters that are all revealed at the end and certain people who you think are undercover at one point aren't yeah. and then the others that aren't and that are and multiple aliases for multiple characters. You really got to kind of pay attention and and keep keep along with the twists and stuff like that. And there comes a, a question. So one of the characters, well, multiple characters are addicted to substance D throughout the throughout the film, and you realise that one of them is one of the undercover cops, and then the other cops start discussing like, well, they're actually addicted to this thing now. So what do we do about that? And and they talk, which is totally a thing that undercover cops have to deal with and do, and that they go undercover in these you know huge drug companies and drug cartels and and all this kind of stuff and in order to like get in with with the group they will have to take drugs and do crazy shit and it talks about the ethics of like forcing not only the the people you know it's quite a, an analysis of class and and social structure like the poor people and forcing them to take this drug but also this under undercover cop character is he now compromised because he's addicted to this substance? And then that leads to, oh, no, actually, the film is about this thing, and this is what we're trying to do. And the the two cops have to discuss whether the the greater good is worth sacrificing their colleague for this whole thing. It's it's really, really interesting. Um, as most Philip K. Dick stories have, it, it's got a very like wide-ranging uh, amount of themes and, and concepts of identity and all that kind of stuff. Is why I love Philip K. Dick so much. And of course, it's directed by Richard Linklater as well. Mm. Yeah, in a very unique style. At the end of the day, yes, um, definitely, yeah. In a in a, in a way that wasn't always entirely successful. I remember there's lots of documentaries making off about it and saying, "Well, a car moves across a landscape, and the camera is moving as well." It's like <clears throat> you've created so many more problems for yourself. Um, it it took like two and a half years to animate, I think, or something like that. It was absolutely mental. Well. To finish us off, Mr. Matum, what's your final choice? We have come to the end of our selections and what some may call. <laughs> just seen just seen Jack's face just collapse when he realised where I was going. Yeah. We've come to the climax. Uh I, hey, I am discussing uh the twenty eighteen film Climax, uh by Gaspar Noé, the French uh filmmaker. Um, as I said, uh, I've gone for gone for some European selections this time. It's a French film, 
um, set in, uh, I believe it's 1996 it's set in, um, which doesn't really impact on it that much. It just means that there's people don't have uh, mobile phones. Um, <laughs> uh, but it is about a, uh, a French dance troupe who have uh, come together in a uh, sort of an abandoned, uh, a former school that they, they sort of seem to have rented out uh, for for the for their use, um, and have been practicing for the past sort of three days, putting together this this uh, uh, dance choreography that they're going to take possibly to America. Um, the film opens; it starts with them uh, sort of the dancers, um, and it's mostly performed by people who were chosen for their experience with dance, um, with no acting history. Sophia. Botola, who who people might know from um, uh, Kingsman uh, and the Mummy, uh, <laughs> fucking Tom Tom Cruise shit one. Oh, the um, fucking Tom Cruise Mummy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, she is the only really known actress of the bunch, and she is she is someone who has a, a big experience with dance. Uh, you know, she's a trained dancer. Um, it starts with interviews with them talking about sort of their thoughts on life and ambition and dance and drugs and you know stuff like that uh and then it opens with this amazing dance routine that they do um that's all shot in one it's it, there's a lot of long takes in this film including a 42 minute one which is the final jesus the Christ. final 42 minutes of the film is one take um and it opens with this amazing dance routine which i even if you're not interested in watching the film which after i've if you have not heard of it and don't know what, what's involved after I've finished describing it, you may not be interested in actually seeing it, but I would recommend just tracking down the dance routine that they do at the start because it's really amazing choreography that they do that was, you know, put together by them. Um, do this dance routine, really happy with it. I think it's going well. And just start having this kind of party to celebrate their hard work. Um and you see snippets of their conversations with each other and, you know, the, the music playing and doing some more like more improvised dancing that, you know, isn't choreographed. But obviously they're all very talented dancers. And so you get these great overhead shots of them, everyone in a circle and then each person in the middle doing their own little, you know, kind of like you will if you go clubbing and, you know. <laughs> uh you, you're feeling particularly ambitious you know you end up dancing in a circle and one person will get in the middle and just be like yeah i'm doing my thing except these people are actually talented and aren't just waving their arms around <laughs> like an idiot uh as people who know me uh will have seen me do in the past um tim throws shapes <laughs> yeah uh anyway so that it you know it seems like it's going great and there's you know there's, there's all these relationships bubbling under the thing and you know characters who've maybe started hooking up or you know and th things like that Except someone has spiked the sangria that they are drinking with uh, an extremely potent dose of LSD. And as the film goes on and moves into kind of the sort of... Uh, it's only about 90 minutes long, but so it sort of moves into the sort of... So half the film is one shot. That's yes. insane. Yeah. Uh, Christ. So as you're getting into the middle third, they start to feel the effects. Um and people start to get agitated and confused um and um and they realize what's happened they realize that someone spiked the punch and they start getting paranoid and not knowing who has done it and start accusing each other and then it basically just all goes to shit and the back half of the film is 
this one long bad trip that they are all having <laughs> mm-hmm. um until the final kind of five minutes where it just shows the aftermath the next day um and it is you know as you might expect if you know anything of, of gaspar noe's film <laughs> history yeah as you might expect it does not shy away from things getting really dark the the choreographer who has like brought the group together has her young son um who is you know staying with them while while she does this work and like uh, quite early on in it as she realizes what's going on he he has also drunk some of the sangria and she decides to lock him in this little like electrical substation cupboard to try and keep him safe from everyone else but he's also obviously freaking out because a he's on drugs and b's mum's just locked him in a cupboard um so you basically for a good maybe two thirds of the film just in the background a lot of the time there's just a child screaming um and you have this constant like the the dance music it's great soundtrack but but as you're listening to it it's all mixed in with these sobs of people and these screams as things go wrong as people just start having really bad experiences on these drugs um and like i said it's for the final 42 minutes or for the most part of this film you're following Mostly Sophia Botola's character as she kind of tries, moves around in this space, trying to calm herself down and trying to work out what the fuck's happening to her. And that experience of just sticking with her for so long, just, it grounds you. It And it's quite interesting because Gaspar Noé is someone who has done a lot of like weird visuals in the past. If you look at something like Enter the Void absolutely happy doing trippy psychedelic stuff doesn't really do that in this film it's there's weird lighting but it's all kind of explained in the film like there's you know there's there's some disco lights because they're you know they've got a, a nice setup and then at a certain point the the power goes out and so everything gets kind of flooded in this red emergency lighting um and beyond just uh the camera which has this kind of floating and occasionally like there's there's a long sequence where the camera is upside down um or floating over uh the characters um beyond that and the the soundtrack it doesn't really it doesn't do a lot to it doesn't flood you with special effects to to recreate what this trip must be like it's purely with performance and just this endless shot and it, I said earlier about how good drug films tend to be able to show you, like, this is what it feels like and this is what it looks like when you're out of it. And this manages to do both simultaneously in a way because you never, it's never trying to recreate, like, oh, you know, this is what they're all seeing kind of thing, you know, on, on LSD. And yet you get the intensity of that emotion because it's so relentless and it's, you know, it's so grueling um but you also you have this slight detachment and you can see all the ways that they are behaving and kind of uh, in part it's a film about people being reduced back to their basest instincts and becoming this kind of like atavistic you know their violence and sex and hunger and and movement as well because there are some there's 
and that's kind of the 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 worst part of it is that there is there's all these horrible things going on in the film and yet there are some people who the drugs have kicked in for them and all they do is they just keep dancing through it and they are so in the zone and you know this is kind of the dark side of that euphoria of you know being you know all in a great mood on the dance floor they are just so the drugs have focus their mind to like this little pinpoint of just like I can just keep hear this music and I'm just going to keep moving to it and they're doing that while like people are being set on fire and stabbed and stuff like that just literally two steps over from them um it's a really grueling film to watch you know it follows a bad trip and in a lot of ways it feels like a bad trip um and yet kind of an amazing feat of filmmaking yeah i think that's a good description of gaspar noe in general i i mm. find that anything he makes i'm always curious to seek it out because i want to see what he's going to do he's only really in the last like 20 years he's made like four films mm. um and in a lot of ways this is his most uh like approachable this yeah it's the most oh, uh, approachable uh audience friendly most definitely most definitely most palatable okay. movie because the thing is it's like I, I I will seek it out with the sort of like, oh God, what am I get myself in for? I don't know if I'm ready for this bullshit. I'm oh God. Um unlike an Aronofsky movie, I'm like, I might have a panic attack watching this, but I'll be okay. Uh Gasman Away film was like, I'm definitely gonna have a panic attack watching this. So I better be in a good <laughs> fucking state of mind before I go in. Um Irreversible alone when I saw that when it came out like early 2000s i was like oh i'm i'm, I'm 20 I, oh no sorry i was i'm try again i'm 19 when i first saw the film in 2003 and it was out a year before i was like oh i'm a cool art schooly motherfucker even though i go to art school um i'm gonna like watch all his cool edgy french movies and i was like oh what have i done what have i done and i and the word irreversible genuinely that film has scarred me and I always bring it up because I can never go back because it's so abrasive, intentionally abrasive. Um, climax is similarly abrasive, but in a different way. Um, the way I described the uh, climax to somebody when I was sort of half recommending it was, it's like the Lord of the Flies, but in one evening. Um, yeah. So rather than society breaking <laughs> down uh, over a period of like you know without adults around you to go back to your base nature and talking to all the religious allegory through. Uh, public school boys just you know descending into savagery um it's like yeah but imagine just drugs just pushed you a little bit too far because the thing starts off with them all having their own you know they're gossiping about their own issues and they don't really get on with each other any normal social group does mm. and that shit manifests real fucking fast yeah um and the ending is again very lord of the flies is like um it's the how far have you gone what have you done and every time gaspar noe does a movie you know it's going to be visually stunning, very challenging, and very, very, very uncomfortable. Because it will make <laughs> you ask questions about yourself and what you've just seen. And the problem is, and this is the thing that you don't sort of, um, I don't know what age you have to be or what mentality or maturity you have to be to get this point. There's a moment you're like, oh, films are fucking great. I just watched a Transformer punch another Transformer in the face. Oh, wow. I just saw this animated dog have a great journey and map with his dad again. Oh, I fucking love cinema. Gasping away. I don't know what that is. 
I'm broken now as a person. <laughs> a human came up with this concept, which means a human has come close to this concept, which means this concept is possible, which means humans have done this. If not, they've done it. They will do it again. It's possible. It is a thing. Mm. It's not. It's, it's within the bounds of credibility. Therefore, it's in the bounds of it's definitely happened 50 times over and worse. Like the <laughs> Game of Thrones is shocking. It's like, have you read history, motherfucker? <laughs> it's actually, it's, so the, the, the inspiration came from like an urban legend there you go that was that was around when he was growing up in like france in the 90s and it was like oh yeah you know this happened you know and no no one ever finds out you know quite you know oh oh no it happened three towns over which towns well mm, just somewhere it's like mm, okay maybe but like you say it's within the realms of possibility and so probably has it's something the marquee decided thought of and thought yeah it's a pretty good idea i might work out into a thing <laughs> it's like you know it, it, the nature of uh 100 days of sodom and all that sort of stuff it's it's that same mm. principle of locking people mm, in a yeah. place with something that is either a, an overbearing overseer who's going to change you or drugs in any form that will change you so yeah again hard one to recommend but an experience mm. yeah not for everyone Certainly not, no. Just like drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had two pretty harrowing examples here, so uh, yeah, maybe that says a lot more about drugs than we, than we initially planned to. <laughs> How we represent them on film, at least. The, the, the tales we want to tell each other. We tell each other... Film, film is almost like folklore and fables, you know? They can either be like, oh... Make sure you pay all your debts. I was like, okay, well, what happens if I won't? Then a piper will take away your children. It's like, what? <laughs> or alternatively, it's like, better be worried about foreigners. It's like, oh, these folklores aren't as good as I thought they were going to be. This is actually quite racist and awful. But yeah, the, these are cautionary tales. Have fun, but be careful. <laughs> well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, have fun, be careful, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime if you want to go and follow us on social media you can go and sequelizers on basically everything you can go to sequelizers.com you can find our discord find our patreon find all the podcast links and and even our shop where you can buy some merch as well if you'd like to follow me i am jlw chambers on again all the social media matt how can people follow you on social media Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to the redrighthand.co.uk. You can go to cheeseman.com to see various things I write about and or do. Tim, if someone wants to get high on your goodness, how can they get that? Where will you hit them up? I, I, I only get high on my own supply, uh, by which I mean uh, I huff my farts. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought you meant. I thought you meant sniffing your armpits or sniffing your guffs. Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Trivia underscore lad uh, is the source of all my uh, my internet addiction. Uh, just sitting there endlessly clicking refresh, uh, like fucking Mark Zuckerberg at the end of Social Network. Oh, um, <laughs> that's, that's harrowing for you. The idea of Tim just doom scrolling. Yep. On that note, we'll see you next week, listeners, for something special. Mm. <laughs> this would have been the, the final episode of the interseason. It would. Mm. But, uh, it would, wouldn't it, Tim? But sometimes but the not. fans the fans demand certain things. Sometimes you just have to do what the fans ask you to do. And you know, we we it's only gonna cost us a, like seventy to a hundred million dollars, so we'll be fine. Yeah. 
some, we'll recover pretty quickly. Some people just can't let something go, and apparently we can't either. <laughs> See you next week, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Ta-ra. Oh, sesame seeds.